into Wendell's world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. I hope you're doing good. I hope you're doing well. I hope that you're improving. I hope that you're growing. I hope you're listening. I hope you're learning. I hope you're educating yourselves. I hope that you're growing as a person and everything else in between. I hope that you're doing everything that you need to do to make this place, to make your block, to make your neighborhood, to make your community, to make your state, to make your city, to make this planet a better place to be in for us, for our kids, for their kids' kids, and for so forth and beyond. A lot of things to get to today here on the podcast, Wendell's World of Sports. Let's begin with <sighs> the Washington Professional Football Team. You know, it only took 96 hours for the team to take one historical step forward in getting rid of that nickname or the announcement that it's going to get rid of that nickname and logo. So it took 96 hours to take that historical step forward and then 15 historical years backwards with the story that came out in the Washington Post a few days afterwards. 15 women who previously worked for the Washington professional football team organization has alleged sexual harassment and verbal abuse by former scouts and members of owner Daniel Snyder's inner circle. Among those accused of misconduct are former director of pro personnel Alex Santos and former assistant director of pro personnel Richard Mann II, longtime radio play-by-play announcer and senior vice president Larry Michael. He's been with that team for 16 years calling games. The allegations made against them, well, according to the Post, Santos is accused by six former employees and two reporters who covered the team of commenting about their bodies and making unwelcome gestures. Of course, Santos declined to comment on that. In text messages obtained by the Post, Mann shared with a female employee conversations with co-workers about whether she had undergone breast enhancement surgery. Uh, Green is named in the Post report for having encouraged members of the sales staff to wear revealing clothing and flirt with sweet holders. All three departed the organization within the past last week. Other names in the report, as I mentioned before, former president of business operations, Dennis Green. He was the guy I was talking about. You need to go out there. You need to say hello and flirt with all of these guys. Former chief operating officer, Mitch, Gr- Mitch Gr- Gersom, who, along with Michael, were considered part of Snyder, Snyder's, quote, inner circle. That's according to the Post. And seven former employees alleged to the Post that Michael routinely spoke about the physical appearance of female colleagues in a sexual and disparaging manner, including a college-age intern in the in a comment that was caught on a hot mic in 2018. Hot mic means that they were on the air, and he was talking, and I guess he said something, I didn't guess, so he said some really inappropriate and rude and lewd type of things, and now he's gone. So there's been no allegations against Snyder or former longtime general manager Bruce Snyder, who was fired at the end of the 2019 season after 10 years with the franchise. And of course, Daniel Snyder being Daniel Snyder, 
declined several requests for an interview. That's according to the Post, even though later on he did make a statement. The gutless coward actually couldn't come on camera, even if he wanted to get with a reporter or somebody who would have his back so to speak, and throw him out hard uh, softball questions, or at the very least, just say, here's the microphone, Daniel, what do you have to say? He didn't even have the guts. He didn't even have the spine. He didn't even have the balls to do that, which is kind of consistent with everything when you're speaking about the taking responsibility for ownership as far as the team record is concerned and the lack of success that the team has had and the apathy that's now the Washington D.C. metropolitan community toward that once proud franchise, Snyder has been absent. In fact, that's one of the reasons why Bruce Allen was kept for so long with the team. Number one, it was because they're trying to finagle a way to get back into the city and get a stadium down there. So they thought Allen would be good for that. And also because when the team stinks and when the team is embarrassing and when the team needs questions to be answered about why the organization is so dysfunctional or why the team on the field is so inept, Bruce Allen can go ahead and take all of those questions and Daniel Snyder, the coward that he is, can sniffer in the background and not have to answer those questions for himself. So we'll see what happens going forward with that. So Jason Reed of ESPN, who covered the Washington now disgraced skins during the period of time, was on SportsCenter. And this is what he had to say about this whole situation concerning the Snyder skins, the buffoon skins, the inept skins, the embarrassing skins, the dysfunctional skins. This is what Jason Reed had to say about that. Well, unfortunately, none of this is surprising to me. Uh, During my time as a beat writer and columnist covering the team, basically every day, you you hear things. And, you know, you you have to understand that there's a culture there that these things were allowed to happen in and i'm not saying that the the people at the top all knew I, I can't say that but when you hear these stories and a couple of the things in that report are things that i had been told uh, you know previously when they occurred you say to yourself well these things are are happening and someone has to be held accountable for it i, I think that in the, in the you know post me too there's no way the nfl can just allow this to stand this washington post report I believe that the league will have to investigate this situation and, and say, let me be clear about this. I, I don't, I'm not saying that Daniel Snyder countenanced this. I'm not saying he in any way supported these things happening, but these things happened on his watch. So if I'm the NFL and I'm other NFL owners, this is a problem and it must be dealt with and it must be looked into by the NFL. Typical. None of the allegations are surprising to him after covering the team every day for years and hearing those type of allegations. A culture was created for these allegations to take place without the knowledge of owner Daniel Snyder. That's neglect by the owner. Things of alleged sexual misconduct, harassment and abuse were told to him. So the question is then if these things were being told, if reporters were being told about these things, why again wasn't anybody in the organization held accountable for all of these things that were going down? So when the question was asked to him what's going to happen next moving forward, he was right on the uh, Jason Reed was right on the money where he was talking about in the times we're living in now, there's no possible way that the NFL can allow these actions to go without some sort of punishment. And they'll probably be an invested investigation by the league. And he also wanted to make it clear that he wasn't reporting, saying, insinuating that Daniel Snyder knew, supported, or encouraged any of these alleged misconducts. But he is, again, the owner of the team. I don't know what it was, Harry Truman, or I forgot who it was, where what president it was, where he said the, the buck stops here. 
Well, that's the whole situation, and that's the point that should be made when you're Daniel Snyder and you're owner of a franchise, when you're owner of a business, when you're owner of a multi-billion dollar business, such as the Washington professional football team, that any stuff that goes underneath your stewardship, anything that goes underneath in terms of the organization, in terms of the marketing team, in terms of the advertising team, in terms of the sales team, everything regarding your franchise, your business, your company, you are responsible for. So it's quite a joke, the fact that Snyder didn't know any of these things going on. And my guess is that he did know that there was something going on, but he just didn't care. The fact that boys will be boys type of mentality and the fact that he also took place in some of the ribbing in the um, in a, on a, um, the Washington Post, Liz Clark, who co-wrote the story. She was on Sarah in Spain, uh, Spain and Company. Uh, Sarah Spain has a, uh, a national show a radio show, national show on ESPN, and she talked about stuff. Liz Clark was on there, and she talked about how long she had heard these allegations and what were some of the abuses that were taking place. And when she was on the show, this is what she had to say about it. Um, at least two years, which would go back to that summer of 2018, we had gotten reports of um, both broad brush, a very hostile abusive workplace, verbally abusive workplace. Um, and in our story, although it's about the experience of 15 young women um, being being harassed, there's also cases of, of male employees being sort of debased and, and uh, humiliated uh, is, is how I would put it. Um, but, you know, we, we felt there was a real strong thread there of young women either being sexually harassed, receiving unwelcome overtures, or on the marketing side of the team, and this is what echoes the cheerleader story, um, being expected or told or urged to wear tight-fitting clothes, um, heels, uh, and in one case, you know, an offer from a boss to, to hook a young woman up with uh, breast augmentation uh, if she wanted that. So it's all, and this comes from above. I mean, this is a story in which... Um, three Redskins, three three employees of the team have lost their jobs, but um, I, I think there's a much deeper story here about a culture. These events, these experiences happened over 13 years. So there you go. So to have Daniel Snyder, Bruce Allen, or mainly Daniel Snyder, because again he owns the team, the team to feign ignorance and be like, "What? I had no idea this was going on, or I didn't know this was so pervasive." pervasive Oh my goodness gracious, no, as Clark said, she had heard about these allegations for at least two years, going back to the cheerleading incident, I'll get on that in the next segment, and it painted a broad brush picture of team culture being where you verbally abuse people in the workplace, where you belittle them, where you disrespect them, and that mainly the cannon of that ammunition is fired at the female employees who work for that organization. But she also mentioned the fact that women were just not the ones being harassed and disrespected. Men were also debased and humiliated, which brings me back to this, how much culpability does Daniel Snyder have in this situation in terms of he didn't know, he wasn't aware, he wasn't made aware of these feelings and everything like that. Look, Daniel Snyder, if this stuff is being talked about in terms of not just women, but men were also being harassed and disrespected and debased and humiliated and embarrassed. I believe that Snyder had a bunch of what we call whooping boys that he would kind of pick on, that he would bully uh, in those situations, in different situations. Then 
He had to know that something like this was going on. He just thought that it was no big deal. He just thought boys would be boys. We're just joking around. We're just kidding around. It's all about business. It's his ego. It's his way. That's Daniel Snyder. So he can't sit there and talk about, oh my goodness gracious, I had no idea this was going on or I had no idea that these female employees were feeling this way. That's bullshit. That is absolute and complete bullshit. It was just a matter of those women who, if they would complain, those guys would say, well, screw you. Go ahead and work somewhere else. You don't have to work here, you know. We can go ahead and we can get other people to work for you. So it was almost, I guess, a culture of intimidation. I guess it was almost like a prison type of uh, workplace where it was like you're kind of stuck here. Bills need to be paid. You need a roof over your house. You need money in the bank. You need to live every day. You need the paycheck. So what are you going to do? And with women in this culture... Women, as far as what they're going through in these days, continuously and still continues, is the fact that if you get labeled as one of these women who are like that, that she'll go ahead and she'll talk about sexual harassment or she'll accuse somebody of sexual harassment or she'll rock the boat if, you know, she don't go along with the boys. That's going to hurt her in future employment. Because if that word gets around, if the Washington organization would have fired one of these women because of the sexual abuse, because, for instance, if of the type of atmosphere and culture that the team had within that organization, if she would have yelled and screamed and complained about sexual harassment and then would have gotten fired for it, you don't think that organization would have gone around at any other place or if that organization got a phone call from a employer of that woman who's trying to get the next job and asked about them to give a reference or something like that, that that organization would not have somehow, some way leaked that out? And what male-dominated office space, what male-dominated business, what male-dominated organization is going to have a female in there who, as far as the boys-will-be-boys mentality is concerned, can't take a joke. She can't be one of the boys. She's sensitive. Oh, you know, she's a woman. So you know how those women are with their hormones and stuff. They can't take a joke. They're emotional. They can't handle the pressure. They'll do a little bit of ribbing. They go crying and they go whining and they go complaining. It's going to, it's amazing because being a man, I've, I've, I've been part of this in terms of hearing this rhetoric. It's almost like when you have a woman who is demanding that you treat her with some respect, that you, that you treat her with some type of uh, respect that, you know, she's the one that's putting the males in an uneasy, uncomfortable position. Because how many times have you heard the argument, and I've had this argument with people before, or I've heard the discussion, I've had this discussion with people before, where if you go up to a female and say, hey, you're looking nice today, or man, that's a nice looking dress, or anything like that, they have the opportunity, if they want to, if the woman wants to, to go ahead and file a sexual harassment uh, uh, suit against you. Or they can go to HR and talk about, this guy is harassing me, I don't feel comfortable because of what he said. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that was a true discussion among men when we were talking about, quote-unquote, sexual harassment in the workplace. The fact that even if you're sincerely coming up to a female, not in a malicious way, not in a juvenile way, not in a way to try to get into her pants or go out on a date with her to say, hey, that's a nice looking dress you're wearing today. Or, hey, wow, Jackie, you're looking nice today. Way to go. Or, you know, something like that, that that could be perceived as sexual harassment. So these women who work for the Washington football team organization, if from that workplace she gets that type of reputation 
in terms of she'll go ahead and she'll go to HR and she'll go ahead and complain about sexual harassment, it's going to make it much harder for her, especially if she's trying to get a job within that type of career path, it's going to make it very difficult for her to get a job uh, going forward. So I can see where it's a situation where, you know, the women who worked in that organization were really, you know, in a catch-22. And they had to go ahead and they had to put up with it, unfortunately. And Liz Clark, the owner, the co-writer of the story, um, documenting and detailing and writing about these accusations by these women, they, she basically was talking about this type of culture was around for 13 years. In fact, one former Washington football employee, Emily Applegate, she's making her way around the uh, television shows, good for her, is one of 15 women who told the Washington Post that they were sexually harassed during their time at the club, that Applegate said that her former boss, Mitch Gershman, routinely berated her for trivial problems such as printer malfunctions while also complaining her body, about her body, I guess. So, But this is basically what uh, Applegate was talking about during her time as an employee with the Washington Snyder skins, with the Washington Fool skins, with the Washington he don't need to be owning that team anymore skins. I had a you know, week maybe or so that was great. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted and what was explained to me. And this is going to be great. Um, and then, you know, you get your first like screaming at you for something that you, it's not your fault. And then somebody makes a comment to you about what you're wearing and it just snowballs from there. And it really took most people no time to comment on my appearance. It really took no time for Mitch to let me know that I was incompetent of doing small tasks that he was demanding of me. I was warned by um, women that I had worked with that um, had worked in, not for him directly, um, but indirectly in his same department that, you know, this is what you're going to get and you kind of have to just like have a tough face and deal with it. And I can do that to a certain extent. But eventually, you know, you just kind of breaks down. I lived with a girl that also worked at the team. So, you know, we would carpool together and talk about work, you know, on the way there, like debrief our days on the way back. And there were so many times that I'd be in the car crying on the way home and she would have to console me on that. So then you wake up and you do it again. And it's just, it's dreadful. I would walk out of very important people's office in tears and I couldn't stop them from coming down my face like they saw it happening because I was so embarrassed that I was being treated that way in front of people you know like if you get called stupid so many times in front of somebody like that's really embarrassing so I couldn't hold back those tears if you made any kind of complaint it wasn't going to go anywhere I mean I'm pretty sure that if you made a complaint the only thing that was going to happen was that you were going to get fired you're talking about the most powerful people in the building aside from the owner. So of course, nobody's gonna stand up for you when this person has been there for 20 years and you're just like some young girl that has been here for a few months. It was, okay, well, we can get a new person. Like there's 7,000 other people that wanna be the marketing coordinator for the Washington Redskins. And so it was like, deal with it or go by. Yeah, had a great first week. And then you start getting screamed at for something you didn't do and then respect disrespectful comments about your appearance and what you're wearing was told by another female colleague that 
that uh, worked for the guy with her boss, Mitch, that uh, she was just going to have to be strong and take the abuse and be silent and be agreeable with it, horrible, making a complaint but nothing, and you would probably be fired. And she mentioned the fact there's 7,000 other people who wanted to be marketing coordinator for the team. So, you know, either deal with it or say goodbye. Yeah. That's that's basically the same thing. Oh, and by the way, by saying goodbye, if you do complain again, as I mentioned before, you take that reputation with you as someone who's going to be difficult, as someone who can't uh, take it, someone who isn't mentally strong enough. You know, women, especially during that time, there was this perceived stereotype, ignorantly so, that, you know, women couldn't be able to handle to the pressure, couldn't handle the pressure. You needed a man. That women, you know, because of their, again, because of their hormones and all this kind of stuff, couldn't take that type of uh, stressfulness, you know, couldn't take the, the, the grits and the grime and the, the dirtiness and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, we can just go ahead and fire your ass and bring in somebody else who I'm quite sure won't be all bent out of shape when we make a comment about how good she looks or won't be crying and won't be weak and won't be timid when we berate her or if we... Uh, I guess for the man's sake in the situation, when we, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? When we um, correct one of her mistakes. So all of those things are uh, just part of the workplace for women. And hopefully moving forward, they can get much better treatment. And that's uh, hopefully what this country and what this world and what this society is moving to. But uh, the Washington football team, again, embarrassing themselves, embarrassing themselves. And we're not even talking about this being the first time that someone has been alleged in terms of that organization of being Neanderthals when it comes to treating women with some type of respect. Do we remember or do you remember the story about the Washington football cheerleaders? Do you remember that story? Let me tell you about that next. Comme l'argile, l'insecte fragile. Esclave docile, je t'appartiens de tout mon être. Tu es le seul maître, je dois me soumettre. Je t'appartiens si tu condamnes. And welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour. Ah, little Gilbert Bichot. I think that's the guy's name. is. Comment la gile, la secte fragile, l'esclave docile. Je patatien du tout de met, soulet de salmet, je toile de soumet. Je patatien, si tu condam, si tu m'aidam, voici mes mains. Voici mes mains, avec les perles, les mous et la haine, coulant dans mes veines. Je patatien. My mom was a French teacher right now. She'd probably be cursing me out right now for that poor 
French speaking, Francais speaking. I don't know, man. I don't know. Trying my best that I can. That song was from Jerry Butler and Betty Thomas. I bless the day I found you. I want to stay around you. So I beg you, let it be me. So one night I was listening to it. I was digging it. I was like, I wonder the concept of that song. I wonder where they came up with that song. So I Wikipedia it and it was talking about that was taken from a French guy. And I looked up the French song and there you go. That's how I got that song. That's how I was digging on it. And I said to myself, I might even try to learn a couple of the words. Even though I might not speak the language of France. A pale of what they're speaking about, but uh, yeah, come on, la gile, la sector fragile, it's clave docile, je patatine. I'm quite sure there's someone in Paris who's listening to that right now and they're yelling, Sacre bleu! Would you just shut the fuck up? You are terrible! I'm speaking the Francais, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So, speaking about this nonsense with the Washington football team, as I mentioned before, I don't know, man. There's even speculation now that they even came out with the announcement that they were going to change the logo logo and the nickname of the team to coincide and maybe try to lessen the blow of the story that was going to be coming out only a couple of days later, that they had the heads up that the Post was going to be pointing the story out on the street like this, and they wanted to do some type of damage control, so this is the best damage control that they could do, knowing the owner of the team like I do, which I don't. Uh, wouldn't surprise me at all, taking a look at some of his actions before. But when we're speaking about women feeling uncomfortable war- working for the Washington Snyderskins, when we speak about the sexual ha- abuse and harassment and the intimidation and the fear in the hostile environment of a workplace that the Washington football team, the franchise, put their employees, namely their uh, female employees in, and the story that came out about uh, the 15 women who were complaining about some of their male uh, bosses who are now no longer with the squad. Well, this is, again, not the first time something like this has happened. This was the story that was published by the New York Times, May 2nd of the year 2018. The Washington football team cheerleaders described topless photo shoot and uneasy night out. Now, the whole just of the story as the team took their cheerleading squad to Costa Rica in 2013 for a calendar photo shoot. The event was held at the adults-only Occidental Grand Papagayo Resort in some kind of C-U-L-E-B-R-A, Kubla Bay, whatever, whatever. So it continued to sponsors and FedEx suite holders, all men of course, but I'm quite sure most of them were white too and old, were granted up-close access to the photo shoots. President of Business Operations Dennis Green, no longer with the team, was also on that trip. Now, the Washington football officials collected their passports. This is where the women were sitting there going, hmm, this is kind of strange. The Washington football officials collected their passports upon their arrival at the resort, depriving them for, uh, depriving them of their official, identi- uh, official identification. And according to some of the cheerleaders, they were required to be topless, Though the photographs used for the calendars would not show any type of nudity, others wore nothing but body paint. And one evening, at the end of a 14-hour day that included posing and dance practices, the squad's director, who at the time was female, told nine of the 36 cheerleaders that they had a special assignment for the night. Oh, good Lord have mercy. That some of the male sponsors had picked them to be their personal escorts at a nightclub. And this is what one cheerleader said. She was talking about they weren't putting a gun to our heads, but it was mandatory for us to go. 
We weren't asked. We were told other girls were devastated because we knew exactly what she was doing. Speaking about the director of the of the uh, females during that trip, the cheerleaders during that trip. Now, no sex was involved or proposition, but still, I mean, basically, these women were treated like a piece of meat. Basically, these women were treated like trash. Basically, these women were treated like escorts, hookers, disrespectful. Absolutely ridiculous. According to the team official, the week-long trip to Costa Rica in 2013, the cheerleaders were paid nothing beyond transportation costs, meals, and lodging. I mean, hell, at least when you get some chick off the street, at least when you go to Craigslist or whoever and you get yourself a, a hooker or a hoe or a call, call girl or an escort, at least you have to pay 200 bucks an hour. At least you have to pay 500 bucks an hour. At least you have to pay 1000 bucks an hour. These women weren't paid anything to be acting like hookers, to be put in a position that would be for a hooker or a call girl or a prostitute. I mean, ridiculous. And again, it was something that was mandatory. So again, it was a matter of we don't give a fuck whether you like it or not. Oh, and by the way, we have your passports and you have and you're in Costa Rica. So not unless you want to swim back home across the Atlantic, be my guest. You ain't going nowhere. So it almost gave a fact where they were trapped. They were almost imprisoned in this beautiful adults-only resort because of the things that they had to do. And again, to satisfy those who were giving out big bucks, those who were contributing financially to the pockets of the owner, Daniel Snyder. Disgusting, ridiculous, offensive, foul. It was it's just disgusting. In a, in a statement, the football team said that the... Football team's cheerleaders program is one of the NFL premier teams in participation, professionalism, and community service. Each cheerleader is contractually project, uh, protected to ensure a safe and constructive environment. The work our cheerleaders do in our community, visiting our troops abroad and supporting our team on the field is something the Redskins organization, oops, sorry, is something that these, um, the organization and our fans take in great pride. Well, that's the type of society that we live in. You know, the fact that I'm quite sure there's a lot of males out there when it comes to cheerleaders or when they come to hear this story, that the fact that they were disrespected, the fact that they were put in very uncomfortable position, the fact that they were treated like garbage, the fact that they were treated like a piece of meat, the fact that, you know, it was a horrible experience for them. A lot of males and some females are going to argue this story is nothing because, you know, what do you expect? They're cheerleaders, right? I mean, if they feel they're being disrespected, used, or feel uneasy or uncomfortable, just quit being a cheerleader, right? That's what a lot of these folks say. That's what a lot of males will say. That's what a little, That's what, what, what some females will say. You know, benefit of being a cheerleader for a professional sports team is awesome. Number one, you're great looking. Number two, you might have to have some type of skill. I mean, you just can't sit there and be pretty. So I'm quite sure there is some type of talent that you need to be a cheerleader. But then again, you are nothing but a cheerleader. I mean, what's there to complain about? You perform at games, you get to meet the players, wrongfully so. But, you know, the ignorant and those will go ahead and take that position when they're arguing that this story means nothing, that these females were disrespected in any way, that these women are just crying and that type of thing and whining over sour milk. That, again, they'll point to the fact that, you know, these 
cheerleaders, and that's what they are, cheerleaders, perform at games, they develop friendships with other cheerleaders and participate in charity work, which include uh, visiting hospitals, going overseas to entertain the military troops. There are situations where, you know what, if you're good enough, you could maybe get yourself in a situation where you might elevate yourself, kind of do what Paula Abdul did in terms of, you know, the Laker cheerleaders. I'm quite sure that there's many, many examples that these chauvinistic pigs will bring out to the table that will put on the table as examples to say that hey you know take a look at Pamela Anderson you know these are females that you know what they're on the they're, they're skippy outfits so guys get to see their bodies and that might lead to something better that might lead to a modeling gig and to a modeling gig you might become the next Giselle Bunchen or anything like that I don't know what these fucking assholes are speaking about but and taking a look at some of the comments of this story is that a lot of these males were sitting there going, what's the big fucking deal? I mean, you get a chance to go to Costa Rica and you, have to, and you have to pose nude. Big fucking deal. Some of them even wore body paint. And the fact that they were escorted, they weren't escorted. They weren't sleeping with these guys. They weren't having sex with these guys. What's the big deal? I would love to go to uh, Costa Rica and stay at a wonderful, beautiful resort. What are these women whining and crying about? Which, again, leads to the fact that these comments being made in 2018 in the comments section when I was watching and reading this story, now moving to 2020, while the attitudes and while the atmosphere toward that might change, it's not changing fast enough and not changing enough. So too many people in our society still, when they take a look at the, the profession of being a cheerleader for a professional football team, Quite sure, a lot of them judge them that they're basically above a hooker, and they're probably on the same level as a stripper. Now, I'm speaking about the Neanderthals. I'm speaking about the chauvinistic pigs. I'm thinking about the simple-minded. I'm thinking about the dim-witted. I'm thinking about the MAGA hat losers. I mean, that's basically where they're going. That's basically the attitude that they have. But it's a shame. And the NFL, and that's one of the reasons why I'm quite sure that, of course, the professional, the, 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 the Snyder skins, the fool skins, the dope skins, the loser skins, the embarrassing skins, why that organization, when they were sitting there talking about, yeah, we're going to have this investigation, and yeah, we're going to look into this, and yeah, you know, our cheerleaders are the best, and our cheerleaders are the greatest, we put them in wonderful positions, and we make sure that they're in safe and happy and productive and positive environments. We're going to, so we're going to review and see what happened. Those motherfuckers didn't do anything. Those motherfuckers didn't care. They were like, again, just like the one Emily Applegate, when she was talking about, hey, you know what? If you don't like being marketing director for the uh, football team, leave. There's plenty of other people that we can get to take your position. That's the same thing that's going on. That's probably, possibly, probably the same thing that the coordinator and everybody else associated with the uh, cheerleading squad for that team told those girls who were upset and who were crying and who were uh, uh, upset that those things happened. Hey, you know what? You don't like it? Get the fuck out of here. It's not like, you know, you're making six figures doing this job. And I'm quite sure there's plenty of other women who would take advantage of the opportunity to cheer for this football team and see where that leads to. So it's just a vicious cycle. But again, the Washington football team this is not the first time, as I mentioned before, as talking about these female cheerleaders who were disrespected on this trip to Costa Rica. This is not the first time something like this has happened with this football team.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So as I'm doing my podcast today, this is a, I guess you could say a mid-evening on a Sunday night. This is going to be published on Monday, but I'm watching in the background, doing this as I always do at my humble abode here in Northwest Las Vegas in my townhome. So right now in the background to keep me going in terms of doing this podcast, I have on my um, my YouTube channel here on the big screen on my television and I'm watching, well, big screen for me. I have on the 1983 NFC Championship game between the Washington football team and the San Francisco 49ers. Washington was to go on and win this game 24-21, I believe, and then get their asses kicked handily by the then Los Angeles Raiders 38-9. That was the game Marcus Allen started left, came back right, went up the middle, and ran for a touchdown. I remember that week that, man, they were, you know, this was before cable, and this was before 24-hour sports, and this was before ESPN, and this was before the internet, and this was before many people are right there have right now blowing their minds saying, how the fuck did y'all live with no ESPN? How the fuck did y'all live with no cable? How the fuck did y'all live with no cell phones? How the fuck did y'all live living like y'all did back then? But I remember the sports machine with George Michael, the original ESPN sports center, shall we say. But, um, you know, George Michael was a guy on the NBC station out here in Washington. He would have the sports machine that would come on Sunday at 1130. He was the one that really brought Michael Wilbon and Tony Kronheiser to the forefront because those guys were doing PTI locally long before that they were doing PTI on ESPN. Those guys were going back and forth. And George Michael was the host or was the moderator. He was the original Tony Reale who would give the thoughts and opinions or who would give the topics of discussion. He would let um, Wilbon and Kornheiser do their thing. So he brought those two together long before uh, anybody else from ESPN came down the pike and got those two guys. So they all, those guys always said, you know, we were doing PTI for, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years. We were just doing it in our offices when we were working for the Washington Post. So the world was introduced to those two guys, thanks to George Michael, God rest his soul. But uh, I remember him going down to Tampa. And those guys, you know, he was interviewing Thiesman and all these guys. And those guys, speaking about the Washington football players getting ready for that game, those guys were so, I don't want to use the word arrogant, but those guys were so confident and so relaxed. And Joe Thiesman Thiesman, you know, he was a guy who always loved to talk. I mean, Joe could just talk, 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 talk. Sound familiar, huh? Talk, 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 talk. So, I mean, he was sitting there. I remember him, George Michael, interviewing Joe Thiesman by the pool, by the pool in the jacuzzi at the accommodation set for the uh, football team during that week. And he was just going on. He was kicking back and he was relaxing. He was doing his best Joe Namath 1969 impersonation about being cool and cocky and we're going to go ahead and we're going to get the thing done and at the time it was like yeah we're going to be back-to-back champs and all this kind of stuff so the Raiders were like yeah I don't think so Jim Plunkett and Matt Millen and, and Cliff Branch and those guys and Todd Christensen and those guys were like yeah no I don't think so we're going to beat you and we're going to beat you soundly so Man, just looking at this football team, man. I mean, this is the team that I grew up. Back in 1983, being 14 years old, you know, freshman at Good Council High School over in um, over in Maryland. And, 
you know, you take a look at these squads, you take a look at these teams, man. You've got Roger Craig from the 49ers and Joe Montana and Wendell Tyler, great first name. And, you know, for Washington, you got, you know, Joe Thiesman and Joe Washington and John Riggins and Art Monk and Gary Clark and Charlie Brown and Clint Didier and Charles Mann and Dexter Manley and all those guys. Joe Jacoby, Russ Grimm, Mark May, all these guys. I just remember these guys, man. I, mean, I just remember just the pride. Again, I discussed it on the podcast last week about the pride that this city has for this team. And especially for my generation who grew up. I I didn't grow up when Vince Lombardi was a coach for a season before he got cancer and died. I wasn't there where his cancer exacerbated and he couldn't coach the team anymore. I wasn't there when Otto Graham was a coach of the football team. I wasn't there for Billy Kilmer. I was too young to remember George Allen and the Over the Hill Gang and and Sonny Jerkinson and Billy Kilmer at the uh, quarterback position for those guys. I don't remember anything about Super Bowl V. I mean, shit, at the time I was, what, four years old? So I don't remember that. I don't remember George Preston Marshall as the owner. I don't remember the 1950s and the 60s where that team was a joke. I don't remember anything about the Washington football team during that time. I don't remember them playing at Clark Griffith Stadium. Thank goodness I'm not old enough to remember that. I just remember, I remember being... A football fan, the first recollection of me being a football fan was way back in 1976 when I remember the Super Bowl where the Oakland Raiders beat the Minnesota Vikings 32-14. That's my first recollection as I stand, as I sit, as I do this podcast right now of me being a football fan. I was, what, six, seven years old? So that's my first recollection of football and me caring about it. But um, I quickly gravitated toward the football team here in Washington. They got Joe Gibbs. I remember I remember Joe Gibbs being the coach, and I remember the first year they started off 0-5, and people were talking about this guy sucks, this guy needs to go, but they beat the Chicago Bears. They were 0-5. They were talking about this, this team even going to win a game, horrible, terrible, awful, disgusting, ridiculous, embarrassing. Those were the adjectives that they used to describe the football team in Washington, professional football team in Washington. They went out, they beat the Chicago Bears, they finished the season strong, and from there, the Joe Gibbs era started. Joe Gibbs and Richie Pettibone and Joe Bugle, God rest his soul, and just, those are my memories of this team. Those are the, this is the squad that made me become a football fan. These are the times, these are the memories. Here I am, 51 years old, and again, I can name off these, I can name off these names like that. You know, I can, Doug Williams and, you know, John Riggins and Joe Washington coming over from the Baltimore Colts. And I remember all this stuff. Mark Mosley kicking field goals, winning the MVP in 1982. Joe Thiesman winning the MVP in 1983. Clint Didier, the, um, the Doc Walker, who now does our local radio show in D.C. I remember all these guys. Alvin Walton, Vernon Dean. I remember all of these guys. One of the reasons, again, why I became such a huge sports fan. Why I'm, to this day, a huge sports fan. Why, if I live to be 1,000 years old on my 999th birthday, when I don't have anything rolling in my head except for a couple of pieces of lint, and I'm probably going to be happy to every other day know who I am, I'm still going to be remembering these names. I'm still going to have these memories. So at the time, man, when I was growing up, it was all about, I hate to be, you know, Wendell's going down memory lane, but shit, indulge me for a little bit for a second, will you? So for me, when people talk about my fandom, when people talk about my passion, when people talk about my knowledge, when people will talk about my thirst for sports, it's because I grew up in an area where 
You couldn't help but be a huge sports fan when you had a team like Joe Gibbs and the Washington professional football team, when you had John Thompson and Georgetown University, when you had Lefty Drizel in the University of Maryland. I mean, when you had this stuff going on, when you had growing up in high school, man, for me, growing up in, you know, going to E. Brooklyn and and, the middle school and going to Belpre Elementary and, and elementary school, our goal, our dream wasn't to play for the Washington Bullets, even though they had Wes Unsell and Bobby Dandridge and Elvin Hayes and Charles Johnson and Dick Mata at the coach and Casey Jones at the assistant and Bernie Bickerstaff was on was part of that squad and Mitch Kupchak and Greg Ballard and Bobby D. Dandridge. I mean, even though those guys were my boys also and then moving forward when they started to stink, Ricky Soberge and Dan Roundfield, and even though I transitioned to becoming a Los Angeles Laker fan with Magic and Kareem and Norm Nixon and Mark Lansborough and Jim Jones and all those guys, even though I went away from the Boulets to go to the Los Angeles Lakers, my foundation for being a basketball fan was set by watching the Bullets win the 1978 championship over the Seattle Supersonics. It was created and formated and strengthened by watching John Duran and Craig, uh, John Bebe Duran and Sleepy Floyd and Eric Smith and a freshman named Patrick Ewing and a black coach named Don Thompson who told the white establishment to go fuck himself, done in so many words, but with his defiance, with his strength, with his intelligence. I mean, those things resonated. I went to the University of Maryland basketball camp when I was six, seven, eight years old, and I got to go there with John Lucas and stay overnight and stay on the Maryland campus. So because of that, I became a fan of the Maryland basketball team with Adrian Branch and Len Bias and Keith Gatling and and uh, Tony Mastenberg and... Oh, who was the white boy? Who was the white boy? Who was the white boy? Jeff somebody. But, you know, the King brothers, Bernard King, Albert King. Bernard played at Tennessee. But, you know, I was a huge fan of the Terrapins when they had Albert King and... Oh, shit. Hold on. Hold on. It's coming back to me. God doggone it. Albert King, Greg Manning, Herman Veal, Tony Massenberg, <clears throat> where they lost to Jim Sparnarkle and, you know, they lost to Duke and... They lost in the ACC championship game in North Carolina, 72-71. And as a young guy, I was crying my eyes out. You're goddamn right. Because the rebounder for Maryland, he was still undercut on that rebounding position. And they still should have called that. So Maryland and Lefty Giselle did get screwed in the 1980, Jesus, 1978 ACC championship game. I remember all that. I remember Adrian Branch's left-handed foul line jumper over then number one ranked Virginia when they had Ralph Sampson. I remember running through my house acting like a wild man because Adrian Branch was my guy. A 6'8 forward, skinny as shit, but boy, that man could play right there from DeMatha High School in Hyattsville. Those were my memories. Those were my memories. Playing, when I went to Good Council and we had the opportunity to play in the same gym as Morgan Wooten, who was a legendary coach, one of the best high school coaches in history. When I got an opportunity to play in that gym, when I had an opportunity to play against those teams, the St. John's and the DeMathas and the Carrolls and the O'Connells, the Bishop O'Connells, when I got a chance to play in those games, man, it was fucking awesome. It was unbelievable. I had died and gone to heaven. And that's not even talking about my lifelong goal was to, A, play for Georgetown and then move on and play for the Los Angeles Lakers. So all I'm trying to say is that 
all of this started, all of this was formed, all of this was developed, all of this was just like pumped into my veins, into my heart, growing up in the Washington, D.C. area, the Washington metropolitan area, going down to Sligo to play basketball, going over to Rock Creek Park and playing basketball, going to find good runs, going down to D.C. and playing basketball. My man, me and David O'Neill going over to um, the Maryland campus to try to find some runs. I mean, this was all part of us growing up in right smack dab in the middle of everything was this football team, was the Washington football team. So here we are. Here we are from them glory days, from my youth of loving this team and the responsibility it had to turning me as far into a sports fan that I am and which in turn turned me into the type of person that I am today. This fucking organization had that type of influence on me. So now here I am in the year 2020, July 20th, and I'm looking at what's going on with this football team now. And I'm looking at the embarrassment that it's become. And I'm looking at it at the joke that it's become. And it's really, look, we can sit there with Daniel Snyder as the owner. And we can sit there and we can talk about the fact that they never haven't won a playoff game or they've won one playoff game in the whole tenure, two decades going on with Daniel Snyder. We can talk about how bad the record is. We can talk about the free agent signings. We can talk about the multitude of head coaches. We can talk about the bad decisions. We can talk about all of those things. It means absolutely nothing. Yes, those things are embarrassing. Yes, those things are shameful. Yes, those things are like, damn, man, that really sucks. But these accusations go so much further than wins and losses. These accusations and the way this organization treated certain people, treated women, and treated their employees, this goes far, far, far beyond anything that's been happening on the football field. I would be embarrassed today if the Washington football team had the same run over the last 20 years that the New England Patriots had. The Patriots fans can sit there and they can defend deflate gate and they can defend cheat gate and they can defend their owner getting a happy-go-lucky uh, good morning from an Asian massage parlor and all that kind of stuff. They can go ahead and do all that. The things that the women and the culture that the Washington football team has set is far worse. It's far worse. It rivals the Dallas Mavericks. Remember the, the, what was it, a year or two ago? that um, Mark Cuban came under fire, and rightfully so, because of the hostile environment that the Dallas Mavericks organization had toward his women. That had nothing to do with the basketball team, but on the other side of the tracks in terms of the organization, in terms of the marketing and, and other things regarding, regarding the organization. And that came out, and Cuban had to go on with Rachel Nichols and answer the tough questions. And I think that he was sincere about it, and I think that uh, hopefully he made the right changes. There hadn't been any other accusations or there hasn't been any other news of that regard coming from that franchise but uh, at least um, you know this is this rivals that now moving forward I don't know I don't know what's going to happen the question should be should Daniel Snyder forego his ownership of the team right I mean that's the first when you heard these accusations coming down and you listened to Miss Clark and you listened to Miss Applegate and you listened to uh, Jason Reed, or if you were watching SportsCenter and you saw what Kimberly Martin, Miss Martin had to say about their experiences with the team or uh, interacting with the team. It's just a matter of saying, okay, should Daniel Snyder have to be Donald Sterling? 
Should Daniel Snyder be Jerry Richardson? Should Daniel Snyder be Marshot? Should Daniel Snyder be forced to let go of the uh, the ownership, the majority of the ownership of the team, and in which would in turn him selling off his share? I think uh, he owns somewhere around 55, 60% of the team, so he is the majority owner. He ain't like the Fertitas who own, you know, the, uh, I forgot what Fertitta owns the Houston Rockets, but that Fertitta owns the whole deal. Ain't no other shareholders or not. He owns 100% of that bad boy. So with Snyder and the football team, he doesn't own the entire team, but he owns the majority of the team. Now, there's also uh, some news going around that some of the minority owners who own a small stake in the team are trying to get together to sell their shares of the team. So if they can get somebody to take those shares, all of a sudden Snyder goes from being a majority owner to a minority owner. In that case, he can really be uh, circumcised in terms of his impact that it has on the team even if he wants to stay around so you know keep your ears and eyes open for that one but right now this team is worth 3.4 billion dollars right so again thinking about how Snyder could be forced to sell the team if it's just going to be outright the owners who by executive committee would have to vote to have the power removed from him. Now, Roger Goodell could be a guy who could go ahead and say, you know what, I think we could. He could be a guy who sways yay or nay in terms of trying to uh, paint the picture for these guys or trying to bring the argument to these owners of why Snyder should lose control or why Snyder should lose ownership of his football team. But as I mentioned before in similar podcasts or in other podcasts that I've done, Daniel, um, Roger Goodell, is nothing more than an employee of the NFL owners. He's not a shareholder. He's not an equal partner. He's an employee, a very high-priced employee, a very powerful employee, but yet again, just another employee for the National Football League owned by the owners. So when everything comes down to it, the owners are going to be the ones who are going to make that decision. And I think it has to be three-fourths or 75% or the majority of the owners is a certain percentage that the owners have to vote on for Snyder to lose the ownership of his team. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. I went into this long deal before about um, about what the team means to me and some of the questions I've been having moving forward. And I had to ask myself this question as a fan of this team for almost four decades. Money Colbin. Yeah, I forgot about him too. But I um, have to ask this question now. I mean, do I still become a fan of this team? Should I continue to be a fan of this team? How the hell did I forget about Daryl Green? My bad. Jeez, what the fuck am I doing? But how did I, um, should I become, still become a fan of this team? <clears throat> I can I can get through a lot as a fan. I've been through a lot, as I mentioned before, over the past 20 years. <clears throat> Bad coaching hires, terrible free agent signings. It didn't make me abdicate the love that I have for this team. Being one of the worst franchises in professional sports didn't make me sway my passion and my allegiance to the team. Being an owner who's a complete asshole in terms of availability, arrogance, defiance, stubbornness, and changing the name, firing Bruce Allen, should have done it a long time ago, but he didn't do it because he's too much of a coward to face the music. So he had to have somebody there to get to, 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 to do that. <clears throat> that. That didn't do it. That didn't scare me away from the team. That didn't make me not become a Washington football fan. I mean, Snodgers rates, ticket prices, 
once charged admission for fans to watch training camp. Really? He cut down protected trees. He created a team news network to employ local sports reporters as a firewall for criticism. He sued a local paper for publishing well-established but unflattering facts about his tenure as an owner. He's small. He's petty. He's pathetic. He's a billionaire. So all of that stuff gets masked over. I mean, that billionaire, that's a whole lot of perfume that you can spray on the shit. That is Daniel Snyder as a human being. And as we know in this society, the one thing that we love, the one thing that we put above everything else is how much money you got, how much are you worth. As far as financially is concerned, you can be an asshole, you can be a lowlife, you can be a scumbag, you can treat people like shit, you can be a complete another asshole. If you got enough money, people will forgive you. I've always said this funny, people, rich folks, if you if a rich person goes into a restaurant, someone rich and famous, they, they go into a restaurant, a lot of times that meal that they're going to have is either going to be discounted or you're going to get the meal free altogether because they're rich, because they're famous, because they'll just go ahead and take a picture with the guy, sign an autograph, talk to your kid, you know, maybe... Text one of your boys or something like that. Oh my goodness gracious, this is wonderful, blah, blah, blah. How many times have we said, especially when you're speaking about a college town, if you're speaking about a highly successful coach or a highly successful player who led a team to a championship, who won the Heisman Trophy, who was an All-American in basketball or wrestling or track and field or baseball or softball in some of these college towns, these coaches, these managers, they can go into a, they'll, they'll never have to pay for a meal again in their lives, right? Isn't that the saying that they have, right? Because they're rich, because they're famous, because they're well-known. But shit, you have somebody who's just lost his job. You have somebody who's just lost his job, a family of five, and is homeless and hadn't eaten for a while. Maybe the job that he had moved on, moved overseas, no fault of his own. He loses that job. And he might come in and say, hey, could y'all lend me a dollar? Could this guy, could this store, could this restaurant... Could y'all give me a piece of bread? Could you give me just one halfway decent meal? Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. Scram. Get lost. Don't be loitering around my uh, around my establishment. Someone call the police. They're taking away from my business. They're ruining my business. Because if, you know what? If I go ahead and I give you a free meal, if I go ahead and give you a piece of bread, what else is, what, what are you going to do? Have all of your buddies come up, all of your homeless buddies come up and expect a free meal? No, I don't think so. Get out of here. That's the way our, that's how warped, that's how backwards this society is when it comes to this type of stuff. When you're rich and you're famous, you can get away with a lot of things. When you're poor and you're nobody and you're struggling and you're just an average person, you can't be an asshole. You can't be a piece of shit. You can't, pe- you can't treat people like Daniel Snyder has p- treated people. You can't do that. Because you don't have billions of dollars. I guess Snyder's worth, worth what? Over $2 billion? $2 billion will get you a long rope and being an asshole and treating, and treating people like shit. Take a look at the fucking asshole we have in the White House right now. Take a look at that racist, piece of shit, amoral, no-class loser that we have in the White House right now. And there's motherfuckers out there that will go to the hilt for the guy. Talk about how wonderful he is. Talking about how great he is. 
You stupid motherfuckers realize that that asshole that we have in the White House right now, that you so much love, that you so much adore, that you'll do anything for, that anything he says and does, you'll forgive because he's such a great guy, and he's a celebrity, and he's rich, and he's a successful businessman, even though he's not. That you fucking idiots, and these places all over the country, or these jackasses who are going to vote for him in these states in which states he'll probably win, like in Kansas, or Alabama, or Mississippi, or Nebraska, or North and South Dakota. You realize, you fucking retards, that there is that, that if you came up to him and said hello, after he leaves the presidency, that that piece of shit, that asshole wouldn't have anything to do with you. You realize that <clears throat> that person that you feel is just one of us, that he's looking out for you, you do realize, or maybe you don't because you're just stuck on stupid, you do realize that that motherfucker has no interest in you whatsoever. That guy has no interest. He doesn't care about one damn thing about you. He'll never come to your farm. <clears throat> He'll never come to your trailer park. He'll never come to your, <clears throat> your decaying community. He won't go to any of your functions. He don't give a shit about you. He don't care about you. He don't care about your kids. He doesn't care about your dog. He doesn't care about your tractor. He doesn't care about your farm. He doesn't care about your trailer park. He doesn't care about your schools. He doesn't care about jack shit when it comes to you. He doesn't. He has nothing in common with you. And still, you stupid motherfuckers are still going to believe out there in western Pennsylvania, out there in Mississippi, out there in Alabama, out there in Louisiana. You fucking ignorant NASCAR fools, when he showed up, you started cheering him. You SEC football losers who cheered him when he showed up to the national championship game down there down south. You realize that that motherfucker is never going to go down south unless he's going to try to do something that's for him, that is going to benefit him. You do realize that. No, you don't because you're going to vote for him. You do realize that if you step one foot under one of his properties, that he would have you thrown off just like that. You realize that, don't you? No, you don't, because you dumbasses are still going to vote for him. The whole thing was to first get a shot on the asshole that's in the White House now. That's number one. But number one A is to talk about Daniel Snyder, the owner, the fact that because he's rich, he can go away and get away with all of these things. And he can go away, he can go ahead as an owner and get away with treating people like this and treating women like this. So as I mentioned before, my reverence, my love, my affection toward this football team, now I am seriously questioning it because if I'm cheering for this football team, in some small way, I'm kind of brushing the shot aside everything that Daniel Snyder stands for, everything that Daniel Snyder is as a person. Forget being an owner, as a human being. I mean, if this is the way you're going to cultivate your culture at, at your organization, then that probably that's the kind of person that you are. If you're a loving and giving person, then this type of stuff doesn't happen. If you're a, a person with some character, with some concern, with some depth, then this stuff doesn't happen. But obviously, that's what Daniel Snyder is. The culture that he created in Washington, that's who he is as a human being. Is that someone I want to root for? 
Because ultimately, rooting for the Washington team means them winning the Super Bowl. Right? If you root for your team, what are you rooting for? You're not rooting for them to be 3-13. and 13. You're not rooting for them to be 5-11. and 11. You're not rooting for them to be 10-6 and 6 and losing the wild card game every year. You're not even rooting for them to be 12-4 and 4 and losing the Super Bowl. You are rooting for your team to be 16-0 and 0 every year and to win Super Bowls. And if you can't be 16 and 1 or 16 and 0 let me be 14 and 2 or 15 and 1 or 13 and 3 or 12 and 4 with the ultimate ending of the story is them holding up the Vince Lombardi trophy whether it be in New York whether it be in Florida whether it be in California whether in a few years it's going to be in Vegas wherever they're going to be holding that Super Bowl the ultimate goal for you as a fan is to see your team hold up that Vince Lombardi trophy as champions right well then I take a look and say how disgusting how vile would it be for Daniel Snyder to be holding up that trophy after the type of culture that he formulated that he brought up in terms of the Washington football team as far as the organization is concerned this might be the straw that breaks my back. I don't know. I don't know. Again, the fact that he's made a fool out of me so many times when I've gone to the sports bar, when I've gone to places to watch the Washington football team play, and I go in there, and I'm the only one in there that's a Washington football fan, and people are laughing at me because I still remember I still remember going to a sports establishment and watching that Monday night game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington football team when Michael Vick was the quarterback. And this is when he was having a great year. And that's the game where Albert Hainsworth, remember him, with that football team for Washington, when he was chasing Vick and he couldn't get him, so he just laid on the ground and the cameras just zoomed into that fat load just laying down on the ground doing nothing and Gruden gave him the 1-4 on the uh, commentary. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. I remember getting hyped when Robert Griffin III came back. And I was like, happy days, here we go again. And oh my gosh, who were they playing? I remember it was at home. I remember it was on Monday Night Football. I remember it was a big deal. And I remember that Washington lost and Robert Griffin looked terrible as a sign of things to come. And I remember being at the bar and I remember people laughing at me. Not in a mean-spirited, hey, let's get into a fight. Let's take this outside and brawl type of way. But it was kind of like, man, your team sucks. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? No, you're wrong. Being down 33 to nothing, I think we're going to come back, win this game, and win the Super Bowl. Yeah, they suck. Year after year, knowing that your team is going to be a joke. Year after year, knowing your team is going to embarrass you. Year after year, knowing that you have no chance to be any good. Year after year, while we see other teams go from worst to first, when we see other teams get better, and when we see other teams build towards something positive, year after year, decade after decade, this football team shows nothing except for embarrassment. I'm still there. And if this thing didn't come out, For the next 20 years of losing under Daniel Snyder, I would still be there. After this, I don't know. Again, this might be the straw that breaks my back. The team employs one human resource person in a department of 220 220 employees. One human resource. 
A veteran female employee had to pull aside new female employees early to give them an official briefing. Former women employees said the first thing, the first few weeks after working for the team often came with an informal but invaluable orientation administered privately by veteran female employers, which would warn them, the newbies, who were female, to avoid certain people and places, such as the staircase near the entrance to team headquarters. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? Holy sakes alive. I tell you one thing. My wonderful, beautiful, awesome, intelligent, loving goddaughter, Sydney Davis, if she worked in a place like that, and that's the way they were treating her, God damn it, I would burn that fucking building to the goddamn ground. With those motherfuckers in it if they treated my goddaughter like that. Are you fucking kidding me? Then I bet you as far as the sentiment is concerned, Mark Lawrence would do the same thing. Chris Ortiz would do the same thing. Mike Hootner would do the same thing. Marvin Prather would do the same thing. Raquel Davis would do the same thing. Armando Vasquez would do the same thing if their daughters were being treated like that. I mean, come on, man. Will I, will I actually burn down the building? I would want to. don't think I'd do it. But I'd want to. I tell you one thing, I, I, would, I would go up there with a baseball bat. I tell, at the very least, I would go in that organization and ask Sydney, which one is giving you shit? Of course, you wouldn't do it. But I mean, I would basically confront him and say, you treat my daughter or my goddaughter like that one more time. This, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to go to jail over whipping your ass over her. I don't give a fuck. But just basically, you know, that's just the way it goes. I mean, anybody, I don't have any kids. But I'm quite sure anybody, I'm not like out of pocket or I'm not like trying to be Mr. Macho or anything like that. I mean, David O'Neill would do the same thing. I'm quite sure all of you would do the same thing with a daughter or have those types of feelings at the very least. I'm quite sure if your daughter came home crying every day and talked about how she was being harassed, how she was being disrespected, how she was being belittled. I think any father wouldn't sit there, any father with a with a de- with any type of decency, I don't think they sit there and be like, "Well, dear, you just gotta suck it up, you know, I'm, you know, just take it and move forward." I mean, after all, you are a woman. I mean, come on now. I mean, you know, no, no, no father would do that. No male should be able to do that. No male should have that type of feeling in terms of I can browbeat you, I can intimidate you, I can bully you, I can humiliate you, I can sexually harass you because I'm a fucking male with a dick and I'm making sick figures. And you're some, you know, you're some whippersnapper just fresh out of college or still young. And you know, just that's just wrong, man. That's just wrong. So uh, those are the things. Those are the things that are going through my mind. And the easy thing, I mean, uh, Jamel Hill, the very intelligent, by the way, Jamel Hill, made an awesome, uh, um, she, she said something that was very profound when she was talking about, you know, my white friends call and say, exactly what can I do to help move this forward in terms of racial harmony and equality and giving blacks the freedom and the justice that and opportunity that they deserve? And Miss Hill said, you know what, or Mrs. Hill, she's married now, damn it. She was sitting that, you know what, you have to be willing to sacrifice something, whether it be losing friends or maybe being... Um, you know, ostracized by your friends who have different feelings than you in terms of what we can do on the right side to bring folks together. You have to do something as far as sacrificial to step out of your comfort zone, to sacrifice something for the betterment of moving forward. And 
for me with this football team, that would be something that to no longer be a fan of this football team, which I've been a fan of for over four decades, and what it meant to me, it's almost like quitting smoking, right? I mean, if you're addicted to something, I mean, you just don't quit overnight. You just don't quit on Sunday, and by Tuesday, you're like, yeah, this was easy. Now I'm good to go. No, it lingers. I mean, what do alcoholics say? I'm always an alcoholic, right? I mean, I just take things one day at a time. Drug addicts say the same thing. I need help. I try to get help, but I don't look long-term because the thought of never having a drink again, never taking a drug again, scares the shit out of me, right? So I don't look at it that way in terms of, oh my goodness, I'm 32 years old, an alcoholic, and now I can't have a drink for the rest of my life. That's going to stress me out to where I have to, where I am going to drink, or I am going to smoke, or I am going to blow a line or something like that, or, or shoot heroin in my veins, whatever your vice is, right? Well... Kind of like the same thing with this football team, man. I mean, if I decide that the right thing for me to do until there's a change in ownership is for me to abdicate my love and affection for this football team, that's the right thing to do. Because again, I I can't, I can't sit here and cheer for a guy like Daniel Snyder. I, I don't know the man. I've never met the man I'm 2,500 miles away from the man. I mean, you put me 10,000 miles away from that guy and people of his ilk, that wouldn't be far enough for me. But uh, so I, I can't sit here and say that based on a personal relationship, these are my thoughts and feelings about Daniel Snyder as a human being. I, I don't know what the guy's like when he's with his kids or when he's with his wife or when he's with his friends. I don't know. I don't know. As I mentioned before, I never met him. And it's kind of hard for me to paint a picture of how a human being is when I know absolutely nothing about him because of the lack of personal connection that I have. But just based on what I see from him as a human being, I I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't no longer be a fan of this team. I'm not here to make some type of like, you know, Proclamation like, dum, da, 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 da. I am no longer a Washington football fan. Dum, da, 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 da. I mean, I'm not here to do that shit. Kind of thinking about this. I'm kind of thinking about this as I'm, as I'm watching this old football game between the 49ers and the uh, Washington football team. And I'm watching John Riggins run the ball. And I'm watching, again, Art Monk and Charlie Brown and Joe Thiesman and watching this magical run and watching, you know, this just did the whole DC aura and the show of shots at our RFK. And I don't know, man. It's like, I watch these, I watch these games. It's like, I can never lose my fandom for this team. I can never lose my love for this team, you know, but then reality hits and I realize what we are now as a football team. And not just a football team, but we are as an organization. And I can't support an organization like that. This motherfucker Daniel Snyder is talking about giving millions or has given millions for the re-election of a person who I fucking despise with every fiber of my being. And I'm going to sit here and hope that at the end of the year he's going to be holding the Vince Lombardi trophy and give him that acclaim and give him that joy and give him that uh, feeling of satisfaction when... There's women that have worked for him 
as he's made their lives miserable for years, that has put them in a situation where he, where they're uncomfortable and in that situation for years. I can't root for someone like that. And of course, the question then comes, and we're discussing this here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, Wendell Wallace. The next question is, well, can you separate the team from the owner? Like when you watch the Washington football team play, are you rooting for the team or are you rooting for the owners? Are you rooting for Dwayne Haskins or are you rooting for Daniel Snyder? Are you rooting for Chase Young or are you rooting for Daniel Snyder? That's, I'm, I'm rooting for the team, but the team in connection is the owner. Because again, you want the team to win. Because if the team wins, it gets you closer to the Super Bowl. And you want the team to win the Super Bowl. Oh, he broke two tackles. He's in for the touchdown. John Riggins over left side. Woo! Bump up, 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 up. Hail to the shut up. Oh. Can't do it. <clears throat> Can't do it. <clears throat> but, yeah. Jack Kent Cook was a lousy human being. Jack Kent Cook, I bet you if, <clears throat> when Jack Kent Cook owned the Lakers, and when he owned the uh, football team here in D.C., the person who was responsible for all three Super Bowl championships and Joe Gibbs is sitting up there talking about what an awesome owner and what an awesome guy he was. And Bobby Bessard, the GM at the time, was always talking about what an awesome owner and Jack Kent Cook, what Mr. Cook was. But as a human being, Jack Kent Cook was a lousy piece of shit as a person. He was a great owner. Unbelievable businessman. All of those things. But, you know, Steve Jobs was also unbelievable. But he was a low life of a human being. Floyd Mayweather Jr., one of the greatest boxers, if not the greatest boxer of our generation, a scumbag of a human being. Got to separate the person of who they are than what they, from what they do. But Jack Ken Cook, if there was media scrutiny and everything that goes on right now, Jack Ken Cook, I was reading a book about the uh, Lakers <clears throat> by Jack Perlman, uh, Jeff Perlman, and he talked about he talked about the history of the Lakers, <clears throat> and he talked about how the owner would just berate and go off and humiliate and put down his female employers. So I guess at that time during the 70s, women were more conditioned to take the verbal abuse and the put downs and everything because at the time, women were in the position to where they're not right now. But in terms of his treatment of women and other people, his employees, Jack Ken Cook was a piece of shit who I hope is burning and rotting in hell for eternity for some of the stories that he did. The way that he would just use and abuse and belittle and humiliate women, sometimes just for his pleasure. Fuck you, you old rich piece of shit for treating women that way. I still... I'm here rooting for the team, right? Right? What do I do? What do I do? Do I just say, well, you know, that was a long time ago and big did the beat boo and we hear what Bobby Bethard said about him and Joe Gibbs is a great man. Joe Gibbs is a great man. But Joe Gibbs said that he was a good guy and he had better relationship than I had. I'd never met Jack Ken Cook, so I'm going to take the word of someone who actually was dealing with the owner and if he said that Jack Ken Cook is a great guy, then I guess Jack Ken Cook was a great guy. I can't... I mean, do I take that to make the excuse, the lame excuse for this situation. I mean, that nickname was still around in 1983. That nickname didn't come around when Daniel Snyder became the owner, right? 
So why didn't Jack Kent Cook? I mean, the Native Americans didn't start talking about this nickname for this team needed to be changed as soon as Daniel Snyder became owner of the team. It might not have been as big of a deal or it might not have been as loud or as boisterous as it is now than it was back then. But I'm quite sure when Jack Kent Cook owned the Washington football team that there were Native Americans who were protesting in some small way about that need, that name needed to be changed. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have Sirius XM. They didn't have MSNBC. They didn't have Fox News. Fox News wouldn't have used them anyway. They didn't have uh, those type of platforms that we have today to get the message out. And as I mentioned before and before and before and before and before, when it comes to, I guess, the pecking order in terms of what we need to do in this country to move forward, Native American rights aren't at the top of the list. Right now we're speaking about women. Right now we're speaking about blacks. Right now we're speaking about other brown folks. Right now we're speaking about gay and lesbian. Right now there's a whole plethora of folks that need to be taken care of in terms of what we need to do to move this ball forward. Right now, Native Americans aren't on that same level field in terms of what we need to do. I mean, right now, we're still hankering and honkering about changing the name of mascots and nicknames because the Kansas City Chiefs are still the Kansas City Chiefs, right? The Cleveland Indians are still the Cleveland Indians, right? So, I mean, this is just a very small step. I mean, as far as black folks and brown folks and gay folks and women, I mean, we've, we've, we've moved on from something as superficial as changing a nickname for that being a huge victory. I mean, we're, we're kind of past that. I mean, in terms of taking down statues and changing some names and everything, along with that, we're much more far advanced in terms of where we need to go, what we need to do for the, um, for the uh, acceptance of folks in this world. We're, we're way past changing nicknames from professional football teams. The Native Americans are just starting there. I mean, as I mentioned before, we haven't even tackled their situation of domestic abuse, in poverty, in alcoholism, in crime, in drugs, and everything that the Native Americans are suffering on the the reservations throughout this country, how they're just being ignored. Because, man, something tells me that we're going to change the nickname of some of these sports teams and it's going to be like, okay, we're done here. (laughs) We're done. And as black folks... Brown folks, poor communities of color, uh, women. As I've, I've mentioned before on my podcast, we, we cannot forget the Native Americans. We, we cannot forget them at all because they're just as much of the struggle as black and brown and gay and lesbian and women are in this society, in this country. You strengthen the communities of the Native Americans. You're strengthening the black communities. You're strengthening the Irish communities. You're strengthening all communities. You're strengthening strengthening the gay communities. You're doing all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we just can't sit here and say, hey, we're going to change the nickname of of Washington and everything's going to be copacetic. Yeah, boy, you know, Native Americans, get on your knees and bow down to white folks because we did this for you. Don't tell, don't. Tell us we don't do anything for you. See? Now go back home and beat up your wife and smoke your crack and drink your alcohol and find out where your next paycheck is coming from. Oh, that's right. You don't get a paycheck because you're not part of the U.S. government. My bad. You can't do that. You can't do that. So, I don't know, man. I guess I'm just kind of riffing a little bit in terms of... I'm riffing here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast, but I'm just thinking to myself, man, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? 
about this whole Washington football deal. What are you going to do as far as being a Washington football fan? Are you even thinking that deep about it? Or you're like, look, man, I've got, you know, I got to work tomorrow at 9 a.m. I, you know, <laughs> I got other things to worry about, all right? You know, my, my rent is going to be due in like two weeks. And, you know, I got my kids. I'm, my kids are driving me nuts. I got to get back to work. And, you know, my wife is my wife. And, you know, I just happy wife, happy life. So I got to worry about that nonsense. So, you know, I got my cable bill due. I've got my mortgage payment due. I don't got no fucking time to be worrying about whether I'm going to be a team of a football. Whether it be I'm, I'm going to be a fan of a football team because their owner's an asshole. I, I've got other things to worry about. Fine. Fine, but, uh, you know, something that I'm going to be thinking about. Wendell's World of Sports, not going to be thinking about it long. I'm not going to have any sleepless nights. I'm not going to be walking around in a fog talking about, oh, what should I do about the Washington football team? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, all of this Washington, the way that they're, you know, treating women... Should Daniel Snyder own a team, blah, 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 stuff we were talking about? Well, Snyder made a statement. First, the team has hired D.C. attorney Beth Wilkinson, uh, Wilkinson Wash LLP, to review the organization's protocol, including its culture, policies, and allegations of workplace misconduct. And what Snyder said in the statement, he said that we are sad and disappointment, disappointed, as you all are, after reading the story in the Washington Post yesterday on behalf of the organization, we want to apologize to each of you and to everyone affected by the situation. The actions in this story have no place in our franchise or society. As you may be aware, when the past issues outlined in the article were initially brought to our attention, they were addressed at the time. However, some of these issues were brought forth only in the last few days, and we have subsequently made changes and addressed them as well. Clearly, there is work to be done to build a better organizational culture. We need to get better, and the time is now to create the culture we all want. We need your help. We want you to be part of the process as we go forward. You will hear more from our leadership team in the near future about this action plan. In closing, we want to thank you for everything you do for this organization. This offseason has been trying and difficult, and your work and commitment mean everything. We are committed to ensuring this organization is one that promises a high standard of personal conduct while also representing the values of inclusiveness, respect, and diversity. What a bunch of bullshit! What a gutless, arrogant, cowardly move in that statement. First of all, if you're, if you're apologizing, first of all, Daniel Snyder, enough with the statements. Enough with these statements. How much did you pay the person to write that statement for you? Go somewhere. Go on a TV show locally. Interview somebody. Um, get somebody, a, a reporter somebody locally to interview you a sit-down interview have it at washington park washington blank skin park have it at your home have it somewhere have it at one of your radio stations go on the air on one of your local radio stations that you own we need to hear from you this statement bullshit is not working this is not a situation where you're trying to explain why you went three and thirteen this is not a situation where you're talking about why you changed an owner or changed a coach. This is not something to where, you know, one of these deals, why you're changing a, 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 a 
president of football operations or a general manager? No! This is something that's fucking deadly serious, Dan! And hiding behind a statement, which I doubt you wrote, and 50% of it I doubt that you believe. No, you need to go ahead and you need to make yourself, we need to see you. We need to see some attrition. We need to see if you're genuine in these words. We need to see something. We need to hear from you, man. That ain't going to get it done. No apology was given to the women employees or the employees in general who worked there over the years where, you know, they were dealing with that culture that you there were no apologies whatsoever. There was no taking responsibilities of it. It was just like, oh, yeah, that sucks, and that had no place in our workplace, and uh, we're going to try to do better. We're going to look, and we're going to review, and we're going to, you know, pull back the curtains and everything. There ain't no fucking corporal pulling back the curtains, Dan. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. And that's nonsense. And you've already had a chance to change the culture after 2018, and you didn't do it. So why are we now expecting anything to be different? I don't. I don't expect anything to be different. When Mark Cuban had the stones, was man enough to face Rachel Nichols, an excellent reporter, and she gave him the tough question. She didn't let him off the hook. And Cuban answered them all. Cuban took responsibility. From that interview, I said, you know what? I believe that uh, Mark Cuban is going to turn this thing around. I don't know Mark Cuban. I've never met Mark Cuban. I've never talked to Mark Cuban personally. The only thing I know about Mark Cuban is from what I see on the television screen and from his Twitter account and what's on the news. That's all I know about Mark Cuban. I've never met the guy personally. But from hearing that interview and from other things, I deduce that, you know what? I think that this is a situation that is going to be corrected in the Dallas Mavericks organization. From what I see of Daniel Snyder, no. If this guy can't even face the music, if this guy can't even be man enough, if he's so much of a coward and a gutless, spineless wimp that he can't go anywhere and put a camera in front of his face and a microphone in front of his mouth, and for him to say the words on camera, on mic, to the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan community and Washington football field of uh, Washington football team fans if he doesn't even have the temerity if he doesn't even have the attrition if he doesn't even have the humbleness to sit there and say you know what this was my fault the buck stop was me this is horrible this is terrible for the women who complained for the women who were hurt who were women of this I apologize I deeply sincerely apologize and I'm going to do everything that I can. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do this, that, and the other. I recognize that these were the things that were happening. I recognize that these were the things that were taking place. From that, I am sorry. From that, I am extremely sorry. This had no place. This should not have been a situation in our organization. Blah, 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 blah. That's exactly what he should have said. And he didn't do it. He hid behind a goddamn statement. So is Ron Rivera now going to be the guy that's going to be taking all the questions moving forward? Is Ron Rivera, the first year coach, first year, he hasn't even been here six months or around six months. Is he going to be the guy that's going to be responsible for this? Is he going to be the guy to atone for Daniel Snyder's past sins? Is he the guy that's going to be taking the rocks, the slings, and the arrows from the media, from the fans, from Daniel Snyder and his 
past transgressions with this franchise and the way that they have a, the culture regarding some of its employees, especially its female employees. Dan, is uh, Ron Rivera is going to have to answer for that? Really? Daniel Snyder's a fucking wimp. He's a billionaire. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. Smart man. Brilliant businessman. Genius of a businessman to be worth that much money in his 30s. Unbelievable. But what a fucking piece of shit human being that he is based on everything that's went down and how he's how he's dealt with the situation. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with uh, with me. Just questioning my loyalty, man, to this team. Can you separate the players and the coaches on the field from the person who owns the team? Can you do that? Is your fandom for the team or for the owner? That's what it's going to come down to as I make this decision. There's no difference between my fandom and my love and my passion and my dedication for the Washington professional football team than it is for folks who uh, love R. Kelly or any other public figure. Remember, how many people are still fans of R. Kelly and listened to his music and bought his CDs and everything after watching Surviving R. Kelly? And that wasn't something in terms of, for a certain group of people, we knew R. Kelly was a piece of shit. We knew R. Kelly was a pedophile. We knew R. Kelly was a low-life scumbag of a human being. But, you know, when you make trapped in, when you make trapped in the closet and I believe I can fly, when you put out the music that he did, it was kind of like, well, yeah, you know, he's a rotten human being and a scumbag and I wouldn't let my daughter around him, but uh, damn, he sure have, does have some good music. I wrestled with that for a while until I finally brought, I, I bought the Chocolate Factory CD. I was like, fuck it, his music is too goddamn good. And his music was so goddamn good that I kind of forgot what a piece of shit that he was until... It was reminded by me watching that Netflix stuff about surviving R. Kelly. How many people, as I mentioned before, are fans of Floyd Mayweather Jr. and bought his pay-per-view fights and put money in his pockets, knowing that he physically abused the mother of his son in front of him and threatened not to tell anyone? What do you think he went to jail for? We've all heard here in... If you're black and you live in Las Vegas, Nevada... You've all heard Floyd Mayweather stories about how he treats women. I mean, how the fuck can you give a person like that money when he already has enough money? Why, because you're just dying to see him fight Manny Pacquiao? Why, because you were just dying to see him fight Victor Ortiz? Why, because you were dying just to see him fight an, an over-the-hill Oscar De La Hoya at the time? Is, is that the reason? Because you were dying to see him fight a well-patched-prime Shane Mosley? I'm guilty! I'm guilty as charged. I haven't watched a Floyd Mayweather fight in a while. I mean, for him beating up the wife and beating up the mother of his kid in front of him and then threatening the kid if he told anybody, that was enough for me. That's what that's what broke my back. That's where I was kind of like, you know what, fuck you. I didn't watch the Conor McGregor fight. I didn't watch the Oscar De La Hoya fight. I didn't watch the Manny Pacquiao fight. I have no fucking interest in putting a dime, a nickel, a penny into the pockets of someone who would do that to a female. Someone who would do that to their child. Someone who treats women that way. That's not me. That's I'm done with that. Fuck Floyd Mayweather. You know, take all of your money, go fucking buy an island and live like a, go live like a Colombian drug lord for all I care. I don't give a fuck, man. Buy an island. Buy a planet. I don't give a fuck. I have 15 cards, 15,000 skanks to blow you every night and to, and to sleep with you every night. You know, have your hangers on. Have your kin folks. Have your people who drink the Kool-Aid. You know, take the money team and go go somewhere and, 
and live like I mentioned before, like a king or like Pablo Escobar. I don't give a fuck. But I'm no, I have no interest at all in Floyd Mayweather Jr. after that nonsense. So, But then again, there's people who will just sit back and say, Floyd's the man, Floyd's great, Floyd's awesome, Floyd this, Floyd that. Okay. You know. But, you know, any, anybody else, if it was a... If it was a regular nine to five Joe who did that to his son, I'm quite sure that the attitude for a lot of you motherfuckers, <clears throat> a lot of you people who think Floyd Mayweather is the shit would be a whole lot different, right? That's what I'm guessing. I mean, how, how many people, as I mentioned before, how many people are still Lance Armstrong fans? After they found out he was a liar, a fraud, when it came to his usage of PEDs and steroids and the steps and the depths that he would take to keep that a secret. The fact that he would ruin people, if it need be, to keep that secret. People are still fans of Lance Armstrong, right? How many people are still going to show their ignorance and careless, selfishness, clueless, simple-minded ways by voting for a troglodyte humoculus, a piece of shit that's in the White House right now because their finances are good? Oh, you know, I could take him being a racist. I could take him being a sexist. I could take him being a piece of shit. I could take him ruling uh, uh, poor communities. I can I can deal with all that. As long as I have a roof over my head and my 401k is great, fuck everybody else. Fuck everybody else. I'm, I'm still good. Right? As long as it's helping me. As long as I'm being taken care of. As long as my family and my wants and my needs are taken care of. Fuck everybody else. I don't give a fuck. The asshole that's in the White House now, he can put black folks back in chains and bondage. I don't give a fuck. As long as my 401k doesn't change. Shit, if you can give me a $15 an hour raise at my uh, job where I'm working right now, I don't give a fuck what you do with black people and brown people. I don't live around black and brown people anyway. Why do I give a fuck? All I need to do is listen to Fox News and Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson and all those other assholes. I can listen to Rush Limbaugh or Michael Savage or I can go ahead and speak to those house Negro fools like Candace Owens and Terrence Williams and uh, Paris Denard and they can set my conscience straight. So why do I give a fuck about this guy who's in the White House right now? What damage he can do to the country, right? Right? Who gives the fuck if he's fucking point stars while he's married? Who gives the fuck if he's running around on his wife while he's while while his wife is pregnant, right? Right, you evangelicals, right? Who gives the fuck, right? So you know, we all have that deal. We all have that flaw, I guess, that we have to confront. Every once in a while. And for me, I'm confronting what should I do about this bullshit about the Washington football team, Daniel Snyder being an owner. Do I still do this shit? Do I still play this game? Do I still become a fan of the team? Do I still cheer for them going on next season? What do I do? I'm not making a decision yet. I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to see what penalties come up. I don't know. But it'll be interesting. For me, it'll be really interesting on what type of decision I'm going to make. Wonder's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wonder Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. 
Started the second half in the 1983 NFC Championship game between the Washington Joe Gibskins and the San Francisco 49ers. Man, man, do I love my city. Do I love my area, the Washington metropolitan area. I said it before, I'll say it again. Best place to live, best place to grow up, best place to raise your children. So, Wendell, what the fuck are you doing in Las Vegas then if you love Washington, D.C. metropolitan area so much? Hey, man, life uh, takes you in different directions, right? Hopefully, begging, I'll maybe uh, end my days back there. Always trying, seeing, planning, thinking about what I could do to eventually move back to the D.C. area. As I mentioned before, that's that's where I want to spend my final days, out there in only Maryland and Leisure World. So, we'll see. But watching this game, boy, you know, it's amazing that, you know what, Joe Montana, if you watch... Joe Montana is not having a good game. Daryl Grant and Dexter Manley and Charles Mann and those guys are putting a lot of pressure on him. And uh, first yard, 68 yards passing in the first half. I think Montana was like 5 for 16 in the first half. Russ Francis is tied in over there. So the only reason why I say this is because, you know, it's kind of like if you watch these great iconic sports figures long enough, and you watch the highlight films, and you watch the shows on NFL films, and you watch the shows on the NFL Network and Sports Century and all this kind of stuff, you would believe that Joe Montana never lost a game. Joe Montana never had a bad game. The only time they'll show Joe Montana having a bad game is when they're taking a look at the 1986 New York Giants when they won the championship. That's the only time you'll see Joe Montana where Jim Burton lit his ass up and knocked him out, and that was the end of Joe Montana. Not the one in 1990 where he was obliterated by Leonard Marshall and the uh, second time the Giants won the championship under Bill Parcells. But I'm watching this game, and it's like, wow, the Joe Montana that I'm seeing here you know, playing against this Washington football team in this NFC championship game is not the Joe Montana that the ESPN... Dick Suckers love to show as far as the Joe Montana fan club. Interesting. Interesting. Kind of remember, Joe Montana's great. Joe Montana's great. One of the best quarterbacks ever. You're not going to say Tom Brady. He's right up there. I mean, he's right up there in terms of Johnny Unitas and all of those guys in terms of the greatest quarterbacks who's ever lived. But uh, just because you are one of the greatest doesn't mean you walk on water all the time or at least complete every pass. Look at that pass thrown behind him. Tackle out in the flat. Nice tackle made. By, who the fuck was that? Who was 46? That's not Alvin Walton, is it? I don't know, but I'm digressing. Wendell's World of Sports. Wendell Wallace with you. So glad that you could be with us, the podcast. So I'm thinking, 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 thinking about um, the Daniel Snyder deal. And again, is Snyder going to own the team? What can they do? I don't think Snyder is going to sell the team. I don't think the NFL is going to force Daniel Snyder to sell the team. I think Daniel Snyder, as I mentioned before, a very smart man. He's going to do what he can do to put window dressing on this to move forward. Do I think there's going to be changes made, real changes made at uh, Washington football team park? Slightly. But do I think there's going to be like a whole change in terms of the attitude and it's going to be like night and day than it was before? No, not really. Because as long as you have the person in charge, which is Daniel Snyder being a complete another asshole of a human being, then, you know, I don't think that anything is really going to change that much. Will it be better? Yeah, will it be better? Will they hire more HR people? Yeah, they'll hire more HR people. Will 
men be as cocky and arrogant and a free spirit to go ahead and do the thing to treat women the way they have before? No. But is it going to be awesome? Is it going to be a, an environment where women are still going to be wanting to work? I don't know. I don't know. Time will tell. Time will tell. My guess would be probably not, but we'll see. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So owners in other sports, I was thinking about this the other day because I was like, you know, basically, again, let's let's forget everything as far as the argument should Daniel Snyder be forced to sell his team. Let's, let's forget everything in terms of the one loss record, the amount of coaches he's fired, the free agencies that he's, you know, signed and all the, forget all the draft picks, forget all that stuff. That doesn't mean anything in terms of whether or not you, you can't lose your team based on someone's record over the, over a period of time. The Washington football team under Daniel Snyder for the next 60 years to go 0 and 16. They're not, the NFL cannot force Cannot force the uh, owner to give up his team. I mean, if we were talking about giving up teams based on records, then Mike Brown of the Cincinnati Bengals and Martha Ford of the Detroit Lions wouldn't have a team based on that. So you, you can't make the argument that Daniel Snyder needs to sell the team because the team hasn't won anything. That does not play into the equation at all. So I'm thinking to myself, it has to be something really, really egregious in terms of the league stepping in and saying you have to give up ownership of the team. Even in the days that we're living in right now, even in the time period where we're starting this new reconstruction of what this society and what this culture means moving forward, even with these accusations, I don't think Daniel Snyder is going to be forced to give up the team. You can blame Roger Goodell if you want to, but I don't think those NFL owners are going to have the stones to go ahead and to um, get rid of Daniel Snyder. Because one thing I'm quite sure about, it might not be as bad or egregious as what was going on with the Washington organization, but I'm quite sure if you pull back the curtain on a lot of these organizations in terms of the way they treat women, in terms of their hiring practices, in terms of how many women and how many blacks and how many Hispanics and other things that they have working for the team. If you pull back the coverage, if you pull back the onion and take a look at what's going on in those organizations, um, those would be susceptible to some eyebrow raising and some what the fuck's going on also with that. So you don't, you don't want to start a precedent. If I'm an NFL owner, I don't want to start having these precedents to where there's certain things that are going on outside of, I don't know, fucking committing a violent felony that would require me to give up ownership of my team. I don't want to have that. And if you're a billionaire, and if you own one of these teams and you're one of these guys, you know, you're you're not you're not used to playing by rules of regular people anyway. You're you're not used to even abiding by certain rules to begin with in that regard. You know, you have there's certain rules of the land that you have to abide by, but when you're speaking about the type of money that these guys are worth and the status that they have in this society. No, the less they, they don't play by the same rules. They don't have to follow the same rules as even millionaires do, as even the players do. Even those who are making low nine figures. These guys are so rich. These guys are so powerful. They don't need to do that shit. So for them to all of a sudden have to worry about, you know, if they have Daniel Snyder lose this franchise because of what they went down in terms of how he was treating female employees and such, 
what's going to be next? You know, we always talk about that. The NRA has been throwing that bullshit in our face for decades. You know, if we go ahead and we start putting in gun laws, you know ultimately what's going to happen, right? You know ultimately that we're not going to have any firearms, that the government's going to come on and come and take away all your fire, firearms. And since we live in a country that's stupid enough to believe that, that's the, way the, that's the reason why the NRA is as strong as it is. That's the reason why they have so many Republican and, and Democrat politicians in their pockets in certain states because they can throw out that argument to the brain dead and the ignorant in terms of, well, you know, you start putting in background checks, if you start putting in laws that can strengthen the opposition of those getting a gun, you know that's just the start of them ultimately what they want to do, which is to take away your guns. So moving it back now to football, if they start talking about Daniel Snyder losing the football team because of the way he was treating women or his organization was treating women. Well, what's going to happen if I own a football team and a couple of my female employees all of a sudden start whining and moaning and bitching and complaining about something? Am I going to be at risk of losing my franchise? What happens if I have a couple of disgruntled employees? Am I going to be at risk of losing my franchise? I mean, I'm not really interested in the day-to-day minutia of what's going on in the marketing department. So if I turn my head or if I put my head in the sand or if I don't pay attention every day, if I don't pay close detail about what's going on and my manager or the person that I hired to oversee that business operation of my company is derelict in his duties, is he going to allow me then to lose my franchise because of his actions, because female employees or black employees or gay employees or Hispanic employees are going to start bitching and moaning about how they're being treated in the workplace and because of the precedent that's been set by Daniel Snyder losing his organization because of what went down, not on the football field, but in the other totally different part of the franchise, am I going to now be at risk for losing my team also? So the bottom line, I think, is that when everything is all said and done, Daniel Snyder is going to keep his team. I'm quite sure he has enough friends, Jerry Jones being one of them, who, who will sit there and be like, don't worry about it, Daniel. Everything's going to be fine. Just stop treating them bitches like, you know, this, that, and the other, and everything will be good. I don't know if Jerry Jones, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that about Jerry Jones. I'm quite sure he's smart enough, even if he does think that way about women, which I don't know if he does or not. I'm quite sure he ain't going to be saying that publicly or saying that anywhere anyway. So I apologize to all you Cowboy fans and for uh, those in general. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Should I end this program before I get even more trouble? Wendell's World of Sports is Wendell Wallace, which is so glad that you could be with us. So I was, again, thinking about this in terms of um, Daniel Snyder losing the franchise, man. That community in D.C., Maryland, Northern Virginia, we'd be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas if that guy gave up uh, ownership of his team. We'd be dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie if he gave up um, control of that team. It would be a happy, happy day. We'd be dancing around like Farrell. You don't have to say do, 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 because I'm happy. I mean, we'd be dancing 24 hours, man, if uh, Snyder gave up that team or the league went ahead. I mean, I'm quite sure. <laughs> I'm quite sure. 
I'm quite sure DC would be like, hey, look, you know what there, uh, Commissioner Goodell? You go ahead and you get rid of Snyder. We won't even start. You can hire all the white coaches that you want to. You can, you can have to wear a black. He's never going to get a head coaching job. If it means getting rid of Daniel Snyder, we'll take that. We'll take that trade off. So it's like, you know, that's how much the hatred, or I shouldn't say the hatred, but the yearning for a new ownership group in D.C. for that football team is when it comes to that. So, again, George Steinbrenner. So speaking about owners who have had their franchises taken away from or at least been suspended. George Steinbrenner in 1974, he was indicted and indicted on and later convicted of 14 counts stemming from illegal contributions to Richard Nixon's re-election campaign, which resulted in a 15-month suspension from Major League Baseball. That's when he was an owner of another team. Then and when, with, the, with the Yankees, then he would later pardon by Ronnie Reagan. Then in 1990, it was revealed that Steinbrenner had paid a gambler $40,000 to dig up dirt on Dave Winfield, who he'd signed to a 10-year deal worth $23 million in 1980, which was just outrageously high at that time. And Winfield wasn't performing up to expectations. So again, Steinbrenner, owner of the Yankees, went ahead and tried to besmirch his character to see what he could do about getting out of this contract that he signed. Well, Steinbrenner was suspended again and didn't regain control of the operation of his team until 1993. George Steinbrenner's in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Donald Sterling. Remember Donnie Sterling? Had his personal conversation recorded and then released in 2014 by his then-business associate, V. Stiviano. That's the letter V, not V-E-E. V. Stiviano. The recording shows Sterling as vindictive, racist, and the disparaging comments that he made about legendary uh, Laker Magic Johnson. You remember this audio, don't you? Yeah, it bothers me a lot that you want to broadcast that you're associating with black people. You have to. You can sleep with them. You can bring them in. You can do whatever you want. The little I ask you is not to promote it on that. And, and not to bring him to my games. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, Adam Silver was like, yeah, you, you gotta go, you gotta go. So Daniel Snyder has not been put in that compromising position. Is V, is v Stiviano still around? Maybe, maybe we can introduce him to Daniel Snyder. Maybe that might be, man, how much money do we've got? Let's do, a, let's do a GoFundMe page. Maybe we can trap Daniel Snyder the way that uh, the politicians trapped uh, Mayor Barry. Miriam Barry, the D.C. mayor back in the day. Maybe we can go ahead and do that with Daniel Snyder if it meant giving up control of his of the football team here in Washington. Uh, but uh, that's another example of a franchise, sports franchise being taken away from an owner. Again, I don't know if what the ac- accusations and allegations placed on Snyder, I don't know if it reached the point to where those type of things have to be done in terms of him losing the football team but you know that's another that's another example Steinbrenner lost his team for a little bit Sterling lost his team like forever he can't die fast enough that piece of shit then you've got Marshot she made players she was the owner of the Cincinnati Reds she made players pay for their own equipment fly commercial handed out meal allowances that included pennies nickels and dimes that wasn't the reason why she got her franchise taken away from her. In 1992, 
She was unsuccessfully sued by several red players who alleged she used the N-word and had a policy of refusing to hire African Americans. Nope, that's not the reason why they fired her ass or they took away her um, franchise away from her. First of all, she was getting senile in her old age. And throughout that period as an owner, she used ugly slurs about, among other things, about other people, blacks, Jews, homosexuals. Then she made the statement that Adolf Hitler's only flaw was going too far. And that's when baseball said, all right, all right, you know, you can disparage Jews, you can disparage blacks, but when you start, when you start talking about Adolf Hitler, you gotta go, you gotta go. So she was suspended in, she was suspended by Major League Baseball in 1993 and then 1996, and then she was forced to sell the team in 1999. Daniel Snyder, again, not at that level to where he's sitting up there talking about, yeah, Adolf Hitler was great, he just went a little bit too far. Jerry Richardson, remember the former owner of the Carolina Panthers? He was forced to put his Carolina franchise up for sale in 2017. It was a really good article in Sports Illustrated back in the day by John Wortham, Wertheim and Viv Bernstein, which reported Richardson had paid out settlements to resolve allegations he acted inappropriately at the workplace. The allegations that were made that Richardson made inappropriate comments toward women, particularly particularly on Jeans Day at the office. Good Lord, I can only imagine. In other instances, Richardson is said to have performed back rubs that lingered too long and went too low down the spine. <sighs> would attempt to buckle the seatbelt of female passengers, which would allow him to brush his hand across their chest before putting the belt in the claps. Oh my goodness gracious. So yeah. Richardson also allegedly used a racial slur when speaking to an African American scout for the Panthers. The scouts subsequently received a confidential settlement and left the team. So again, you know, that was situation. Daniel Snyder has not been accused of those type of things. And even the folks who were dismissed from the team, even they didn't go that far in terms of that type of harassment. They got close, but they didn't step over that line so far of what we know of. So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, my guess is going to be that Washington, I guess Snyder being the smart man that he is, he'll play nice and he'll go ahead and he'll, one thing I would say if I'm the NFL is like, look, if we're not going to, or if I'm Roger Goodell, it's like, look, if we, if we can't take away your ownership, then you better fucking hurry up and change this goddamn nickname to something decent. I don't give a fuck what it is. But, you know, you already said that you're no longer going to use that racial slur as far as the nickname is concerned. That's great. But let's expedite the renaming of the football team. Because I'm already going to take away draft picks. I'm already going to find you some money. So, you know, you, you got to do something else. For me, not to really go hog wild on your ass, you're going to have to come up with some type of nickname. I don't give a fuck what you call them. The Washington, the Washington football super jackers. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what a super jacker is. But you got to come up with something. The Washington, D.C. metropolitan area team. The Washington Joe Gibbs. The Washington Monks. The Washington Clarks. The Washington, uh, I don't know what it is. Just nothing with skins in it. Please, nothing with skins. Call yourself the Daniel Snyders for all I give a fuck. I don't care, but if you want 
me to go a little bit easy on your ass, then make sure that you come up with something and something quick. Don't be sitting up there in week seven and people are asking Ron Rivera, hey, when are you going to get that new name for your for your team? And he's going to be sitting up there going, I don't know. We're working on it. We're working on it. We're working on it. You know, don't be giving me that bullshit. So my guess is that um, Roger Goodell is going to find Daniel Snyder. I mean, how much can you really find a billionaire, right? Will he suspend him? Hmm. I think, hmm. I'm thinking about, see, I'm thinking about the friends Snyder has. The owners, you got to remember now, again, Goodell works for the owners. And while Goodell has shown in certain situations, namely the Tom Brady situation where he said, yeah, I know me and Kraft are tight, but fuck this, man. I got to do what I got to do. And I'm quite, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the punishment that he's going to be putting down. And again, after the investigation is thoroughly done by the NFL and the law firm that the Washington organization hired, I wonder if this is going to be a situation where Snyder has to give up his team for a year, maybe be suspended for six games, eight games, half a season. I mean, Greg Williams, Sean Payton was suspended for a year from the New Orleans Saints back in the early um, 2010 or 2011, somewhere around there, for uh, his situation in Bounty Gate. There's a president being set. Jerry Richardson lost his team, even though what he did as far as an owner is concerned personally was a lot worse than what Snyder has done because Snyder has never involved himself in any type of inappropriate sexual activity or any inappropriate in a, in a, in a sexual harassment toward any of his female employees. So I'm just thinking out loud right now, man. What do you think? I think it's ultimately going to be, he's going to be fine, suspended four games. They're going to lose a second and a third round draft pick, and then we'll just move on. But goddamn, if he could just, just get out in front of all this and say, I'm sorry. He's such a piece of shit. He is such a lowlife. He is such a coward that Daniel Snyder can't even do that. But the bottom line is that, again, he's not going to be forced to sell his team. And that's what I think the biggest disappointment is. That the league can't force Snyder to give up control of his team because he's a bad owner who doesn't win enough games. Again, if that was the case, the Jets would be under new ownership. Back in the day, the Arizona Cardinals wouldn't be under the ownership of the Bidwells. Martha Ford wouldn't own the Detroit Lions, and Mike Brown would be long gone from the Cincinnati Bengals. So, unfortunately for us football fans, and especially for me being a Washington football fan, and again, contemplating whether I even want to be a fan of this team after that whole diatribe and rambling discussion that I had about, you know, whether I should be a football fan of this team or what it meant to me and how it shaped me to be a sports fan and blah, 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 and blee, blee, blee. I don't know, man. I don't know. But the bottom line is Daniel Snyder and Washington football and the nation's capital, Silver Spring, Maryland, Anne Arundel Kennel, Anne Arundel County, Prince George's County, Northern Virginia, Virginia, Fairfax, Arlington, Alexandria, Falls Church, Tyson's Corner, Woodbridge, Aspen Hill, Maryland, Belpre Road, 
Beth Page Lane. <laughs> the surrounding Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Sorry, y'all. Sorry. Unfortunately, as an owner for the Washington football team, we are stuck with Daniel Snyder. So remember the name. Now who you gonna call? Not the GP. Now who you gonna call? G-W-G. If you ever riff with people wanna bust, break, break out. out before you get bum rushed. At the wild, wild west. When I roll into the wild, wild west. When I stroll into the wild, wild west. When I bounce into the wild, wild west. It's going, it's going. Ah, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. I'm going to hold off on NBA bubble talk. I've got a guest coming on on my next podcast. My man Eric G does a radio show out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Did a radio show in Oklahoma City. He's from Oklahoma City. Did some did a show in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Really good. Follows the Thunder. Covered the Thunder for years. And um, he's uh, pretty well uh, connected in terms of college football and the NBA. So I'm going to have Eric G, my first guest. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo! Are there pigs flying? My first guest is going to be my man, Eric G, the G-man. So we'll go ahead and we'll talk about what's happening in terms of it's going to be college football next year. I'm going to ask him also, how the fuck does Mike Gundy still have a job? And does he think that Mike Gundy should have a job? So I want to get his thoughts and opinions about that. And once again, just ask about college football in terms of if there's going to be a season, if there is going to be a season, whether the season, what's the season going to look like? Spring football. Everybody talks about spring football. Spring football. Moving the season of spring football. Do we even know that that's going to be even copacetic to have spring football? I, I don't. I don't understand it. I don't see it. I don't even see how football is going to happen this year in college because how hypocritical is it? for college football to be happening if there's going to be hardly anybody on campus. And again, I've asked the question, how are they going to, they're talking about, you know, before games or 72 hours before the games, have these guys being tested? Who's going to be paying for all this? Who are going to be paying for these athletes to be tested? And the worst case scenario, as far as college football is concerned and for the sport, for everything I'm going to get in with, and get in the discussion with Eric G about this. We've had this discussion many times when we've talked over the phone. But what what in the world is going to happen? Worst case scenario, if they do have the college football season, someone uh, contracts the coronavirus and dies two months later. What's going to happen then? There's lawsuits. There's the PR battle. What in the fuck is going to happen? That's going to shut down college football, period. And I don't give a fuck what it's all about in terms of where it's happened, this, that, and the other, when it's happened, if it's spring football. I don't give a damn. All it takes is one. All, In fact, forget dying. 
All it takes is for one football player to become really, really sick. He catches the, the, the COVID-19 virus and he's laid up in the hospital and he's battling for his life. That's it, man. That's done. How can college football justify continuing the season if something like that's going to happen? Then all of a sudden, those 72-hour period in terms of taking the test, then all of a sudden, a player or two or three or five or ten who become um, positive for the virus, all of a sudden now, that takes on a whole different meaning if they have a player who's sitting up in the hospital fighting for his life or is dead. All of a sudden now, that number in terms of people who tested positive on that football team, that becomes something entirely different, something much more ominous, something much more important in terms of what we're going to do about this sport. So I don't know. I'm interested to see, again, the G-Man, Eric, covers Oklahoma, covers Oklahoma State, covers um, Tulsa, and as I mentioned before, he covers the NBA via the via the Oklahoma City Thunder. So those are the things I'm going to be getting into. I'm going to start speaking about college basketball, excuse me, college football, which I haven't spoken about in a while. And I'm also going to be speaking about the NBA, which I haven't spoken about in a while. And I really miss speaking about the NBA. The season is less than two weeks away. So on my next podcast, sometime in the middle of this week, that's what we're going to be talking about. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end with this entanglement. Ah, we're going to Wild Well West to bring in Will Smith. Superstar, movie star, icon. You know, as I mentioned before on my last podcast, I know this might have the expiration date has expired, but again, I just, me being single, me, because of the virus right now, not shacking up with anybody, not hooking up with anybody right now, you know. Sometimes you might get a little bit lonely. It's been a while, you know, with this COVID, you know, for the most part, if you're not doing something in terms of working or if you're not doing something in terms of grocery shopping or having to be out of the house, you know, I've got to get back to the gym, God damn it. But I've been to the gym on an infrequent basis. But, you know, for the most part, you're staying indoors. At the most part, you're staying at home. And I live alone, so it helps the fact that, you know, I don't catch COVID in my house because I live by myself. That's my thinking. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm feeling down and wishing I could have gotten married, I mean, maybe something could have gotten a little bit different with Felisa or something could have happened a little bit different with some other females in my life that we could be married and we could have Marcus and Quentin and Vanessa and Felisa running around. When I'm getting back to that and I'm going to that mind space, I just rewatch the conversation between Jada Pickett Smith and Will Smith. And I go, woo, thank goodness. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i feeling a lot better now. You know, being single ain't all that bad. It's not all that bad. I have friends, good friends, brothers that I, uh, my brothers that uh, I, um, they're in relationships. And sometimes I see them together and I'm like, you know, I see them and they're female, better half together. And I'm like, woo, boy, you know what? Being single ain't bad. And I have brothers and friends of mine who are married. And I say, man, I, I'm Jealous with you guys, boy. Must be nice to have a woman like that. So, you know, like I mentioned before, if I'm feeling down about being single or not being in a relationship, ah, yes, Jada Pinkett and Will Smith, I feel much better right now. So, as again, 
Jada was admitted to having a relationship with uh, musician August. Uh, I don't even know the motherfucker's last name. I have no idea who's this kid's, what this kid's name is. When she and Will Smith were separated. I don't get into this stuff. And I think I explained myself in this situation. I don't know why I'm doing it again. I just haven't been able to completely separate myself from the story. But for those who might have missed it, I don't, I'm not judging Will and Jada in terms of their marriage and anything like that. I don't know what happens behind closed doors. I don't know anything about their marriage. I don't know anything about their problems. I don't know how they're raising their kids. I don't know anything about their kids. So I'm not making any judgments on terms of who's right and who's wrong. And I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not even one on a podcast. So I don't know. I have no idea. But my thing is when I listen to this stuff and I watch this stuff, the only thing I say is, okay, put me in that situation. If I was Will Smith and I was dealing with someone like Jada Pinkett and her explanation in terms of this entanglement or what went down, I mean, how would I react? How would I deal with this? Now, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm looking at it from a surface, you know, I'm looking at it from the surface. I mean, I don't have any feelings toward these people. So if you have deep love and affection for somebody, I mean, maybe the thoughts and feelings that I have in watching this as a partic- as a spectator would be a lot different if I was actually in the fray, if I was actually in the game going through this myself. But it's just like, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, you got Jada Pinkett Smith, who is 48 years old. She was dating a guy who was 21, 20 years or younger. This happened four and a half years ago. So, you know, she's up there dating a kid who's, what, 23, 24, when she was 44. Now, I know men take a look at that. And from the other side, if a man who's 44 is dating a woman who's 24, they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for someone like me, unless I'm just, unless it's just mainly sexual, what the hell am I doing with a 24-year-old? Or for me being 52 years old, what the hell would I be doing with a 32, 28, 25-year-old? So if I'm 52, what would I be doing with a 32-year-old? Th- speaking about the age difference, what, 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 what would I have in common? What would we, t- what would we be talking about? Seriously, how could I relate to someone who's 32 fucking years old? I mean, they're just basically beginning life. You really start life when you're 21 years old. I mean, from the age birth to 18, that's like the preseason. You know what I'm saying? And then 18 to 22, you get a little bit, of, you get a little bit of a glimpse about what's going on. But man, once you hit 21, 22, 23, that's really when you start living life for real. So, I mean, we're speaking about someone who's 32, 31 years old. I mean, they, they, they would just be a neophyte. You know, they would just be just, just being infants in terms of just being young kids in terms of what life is all about. I'm 52 years old, man. I'm a full-grown adult when it comes to living life. You know what I'm saying? I know I got a lot more to learn. I know I got a lot more to, a lot more growing to do and everything like that. But compared to someone who's 31 years old, I ain't doing the same shit now that I did when I was 31 years old. Why? Because I ain't 31 years old anymore. And the shit that I did when I was 31 years old, I had to go through. So when I'm 52 years old, I know I'm smart enough to realize that I ain't doing the same shit that I did when I was 31 years old. And it ain't blaming a 24 or a 26 or a 31-year-old. They have to go through that shit. So Jada and Will were talking about, you know, at the time, August was in a bad place and he was mentally sick and he needed our help and this, that, and the other. I'm like, hey, look, man, I am too old to be dealing with that bullshit. 
I I don't know what 24-year-old, I don't know what 27-year-olds, I don't know what 32-year-olds, I don't know what 35-year-olds are going. That's a whole different generation for me. And that's a whole generation I have no clue about what's going. I ain't that old man get off my, you know, I'm not that old man yet where I'm yelling at kids to get off my lawn. I'm not doing that shit. But in terms of the young cats like that, Young females like that, I don't know. I don't know what they love. I don't know what they listen to. I don't know what they like. I don't know what's in. I don't know what's cool. I don't know what's great. I don't know what's in fashion. And concerning their generation, I have no fucking idea. Nor do I even care. Why? Because I'm 52. I'm 51 years old. So for me to all of a sudden start acting like I'm 31 years old, nah, that wouldn't work. I did that shit before. It was called 1999-2000. Don't need to go back to that shit again. You understand what I'm saying? So... For me, unless it's purely sexual, unless the only reason why I'm getting with this woman is to have sex with her because she is 31 years old or she is 28 years old, that would be the only reason why I would even entertain even being around someone like that in terms of sharing and caring. And I mean, you want to ask for some life advice? I can give you that. But in terms of if you're like mentally sick because you've been through some shit, I'm sorry, Will and Jada, I don't see any type of degree on the walls. You know, send, you're, y'all are rich. Send them to your shrink or send them to your counselor or send them to your whoever, man, who, who works with that. I ain't the one. I don't know. So it seemed like August, this kid had a tough upbringing and everything like that. I didn't. So I don't know what that motherfucker is going through. I don't know exactly. I guess his parents were shot or his mom was on drugs or some shit like that. So look, my parents were not on drugs. My dad was around until he was 90. He was an awesome guy through his entire life. My mom was in her 80s. She's an awesome woman her entire life. So I can't help you. I'm not an expert in dealing with parents who were alcoholics and were murdered or killed. Or I'm not down with that. I don't know anything about that. I, I don't know. Life sucks. Be strong. That's, you know, so, you know, find a shrink. Find a psychiatrist. Find somebody professionally who can get that done. I can't help you. I cannot help you. I'm sorry. Now, I've met kids. Kids are very open in some instances. I've met kids who have kind of told me their life story in terms of, you know, some of the shit that they're going through. And I could just only give them my advice from just, you know, life experiences. Like, hey, man, you know what? Guess what? Life is going to get a lot harder. So... All this shit right now is just what you're going through right now is just getting you ready for real life. All this shit that you're going through right now, going to classes, doing homework, all this shit that you're going through right now, it gets a lot harder. I mean, you're in 10th grade right now. It's a lot harder now than it was back when you were in 5th grade, right? Yeah, well, guess what? By the time you reach 24, 25, 35, 45, 55, it's going to get a lot harder. Each year gets a lot harder. As you grow mentally and you lose physically, it becomes a lot harder in different areas. So those are my, that's my advice for that shit. So when Jada's talking about, you know, he needed, he needed our help. Augustus needed my help and he needed Will's help. Man, if y'all were going through some bullshit and y'all were talking about your marriage breaking up and everything, how man, what, how, when do you have time to be dealing with someone else's problem? If I'm Will or if I'm going through relationship crisis right now, and our marriage is broken up. It has been broken up after 10, 15 years, not 10, 15 months. I mean, when all of this shit was going down, right? I mean, they were, what, around the 20-year mark, two-decade mark of them being together? 
So if I'm in that same situation, I don't want anybody coming in here talking about he's sick and we need to help them. No, man, we're right now going through a crisis right now. We don't need to be helping anybody else except ourselves. How are we going to be helping somebody else when we can't even help ourselves in this situation? That would be my deal. So I would be vehemently against that shit. August, whoever, hey, man, you might be my boy and you might be friends with my kids and everything, but I can't help you. We're going through, me and my wife are going through some shit right now that's going to be taking our undivided attention. You know, this is dealing with our marriage. This is dealing with our kids. So no, man, I, I'm sorry about what's going on, but we've got a different kind of entanglement to which we can't be dealing with your entanglement. So nice knowing you, but y'all, you got to go. So they were talking about how the entanglement became an entanglement, you know, as far as a grown woman and a kid getting together. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. It was just... It was just crazy. I mean, Jada starts off with this nonsense. I mean, this whole comes from love. It comes from happiness, you know, and this, that, and the other. It's like, woman, please, what are you trying to say here? I mean, you know, you know, I came to the table to discuss these issues and clear the air and all this kind of, I mean, she gave this big, long speech. I mean, what are we on a soap opera here? Just tell me what the fuck's going on. I understand that it's being filmed and I understand, you know, you need YouTube clicks and everything. I understand that you had to come to the table four and a half years later because Black Twitter went ahead and took this story and ran with it. Who gives a fuck about Black Twitter? Who gives a fuck about White Twitter? Who gives a fuck about Asian Twitter? Who gives a fuck about Twitter? Who gives a fuck about your fans? Who cares what they're saying, what they're thinking about? Is it messing me up? Is it preventing me from getting jobs? Is it preventing me from getting a paycheck? Is it preventing me from being a good husband? Is it preventing me three and a half, four and a half years later to be a good father and a husband? If it's not, who gives a fuck what they think? Who gives a damn? They'll move on from us. Don't worry about it. This shelf life ain't forever. You know, they'll move on to something else. Why are we bringing this shit up? I don't want my laundry aired like this. Why are you even answering questions about this shit? It's none of your fucking business if anybody asks you. That shit happened four and a half years ago. Whatever happened, move on. We got the coronavirus happening right now. We got a fucking asshole in the White House right now. We got some other shit going on right now. We got an unemployment. We got a depression that might be on our hands coming up. When the fuck are you asking me about some bullshit about my relationship four and a half years ago? Four and a half years ago. Four and a half years ago. <laughs> Why do I give a fuck? Why do you give a fuck? I mean, damn, we're still living. We're still together. So what the fuck? What's the deal? What the, what's the reason here? Y'all can't find anything else? Man, if they would have held out a little bit longer, I mean, you know, Nick Cannon took all of the attention away from those two goofballs with his bullshit that he was talking about. So, man, and by the way, Nick Cannon, shut the fuck up, please. I just, you know, and black folks who are up there condoning that bullshit, shut the fuck up. Stop, stop, stop. Can we, can we stop denigrating Jews, please? Can we, black folks, can I have your attention? Can we stop? With the Jews are trying to take over the world bullshit narrative. Can we can we move on from that? Can we think about something else? Can we keep our eye on the prize? Nick Cannon, can we the Israel people and all that, can you just shut the fuck up, please? And kind of speak a little bit more of a harmonious discord, or maybe point us in the right direction of where we can go to find unity and peace and equality and opportunity in this country. No, sit there talking about Jewish people, that shit ain't gonna get it done. Stop! Stop! World domination and what happened years ago and all these facts and feelings and theories. Shut up! Shut up! Just shut up! <laughs> Just no more talk about Jews, please. 
in a disparaging way. Unless you are talking about them being on our side, being on the right side when the revolution comes, when November comes, and we're going to have to decide which side of the tracks are you going to be on, the right side or the wrong side, the good side or the bad side, the righteous side or the inane side. When that day comes, I don't give a fuck who you are. I don't give a fuck what... I don't give a fuck what happened 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago or what happened in Israel or God, God's children. I don't give a fuck about any of that. Are you going to try to help me improve my community? Are you going to help my chances of better employment? Are you going to help my chances of getting a better job? Are you going to help me become more exclusionary in the world that we live in? That's the only thing I fucking care about, Nick Cannon. Shut the fuck up about Jews doing this, Jews keeping us down. Shut up. Just shut up. Because it lends us nothing. That theory is bullshit and get Farrakhan out the fucking mouth. Black people, take Louis Farrakhan, take Louis Walcott, get that anti-Semitic piece of shit out of your mouths. He ain't about shit. He ain't nothing for shit. He ain't shit. Anybody that gets, anybody, as I mentioned before, who played a role in the assassination of one of the most prominent black men who ever walked this earth, at least in the 20th century, and he sat there and he joked about it, he sat, sat there and he smiled about it, and he sat there and he destroyed a fucking family by killing Malcolm X, and he sat there with that piece of shit Elijah Muhammad, Elijah Poole, and sat there and crowed and he joked and he laughed and he scoffed about it. Fuck him. You think we're going to listen to anything that motherfucker has to say? Especially that anti-Semitic piece of shit and the stuff that he said about Jews? The stuff that he said about Barack Obama? Fuck him. Fuck him. That motherfucker can't go away fast enough. So please, Nick Cannon, Deshaun Jackson, Steven Jackson, anybody else with a platform, please leave the Jews alone. Leave Louis Walcott alone, a.k.a. Louis Farrakhan. Leave those motherfuckers alone because it does nothing to advance what we're trying to do. It gets us nowhere. Gets us nowhere. Oh, I'm through with talking about Jaden Will. I'm done. See what I mean? Who wants to talk about Jaden Will right now? Oh, those two just would have stayed quiet. Nick Cannon could have could have done y'all a solid, but all right, we're done. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. I want to thank you so, so much. Um, be good to each other. Leave Lewis Walcott out your name. Blacks, whites, Jews, Asians, Hispanics, Christians, Muslims, everybody. Hitler, no go. Farrakhan, no go. David Duke, no go. Just no go. If they're promoting hate, George Wallace, no go. Anybody who promoted hate of anybody, no go. Let's see if we can go 72 hours without a person of interest, a person with a platform, regardless of who he is, what race he is, what gender he is, what political affiliation that he is. Let's see if we can go 72 hours without somebody making themselves look like a jackass in terms of uh, what we're trying to do to move this to move this community forward. All right? Is that a deal? Is that a deal? Is that a deal? All right. I want to end today's program with uh, a little... Four Tops, live at the Rooster Tail, 1966. Reach out, not reach out, I'll be there. It's not, who am I going to play? What am I going to play? What am I going to play? What am I going to play? Um, baby, I need your loving. There you go. And so apropos when he said, Levi, 
my father used to say, Levi, if you want your prayer to be answered, you got to get off your knees and do something about it. That's what we need to do. No more begging, no more pleading, no more appeasing. Get on our knees, get off of our knees, stand on our feet, learn, educate, listen, learn, educate, listen, grow, listen, learn, educate, music. Just can't go on without you. 